0: Ain't no regular Snickers either. It's the big one. Freshly chilled, uniced. All right. Start down here. Okay.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the best Survivor podcast available in this price range. I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm here to give you guys a big smoocheroonie
0: uh this is paul oslison and does anyone want this this mint i just tucked in my mouth it's really good guys come on
2: (laughs) (laughs) and i'm jay fisher and well does anyone want this piece of (laughs) doo-doo
1: there we go yes all ready to go here we are on part three of our big marquesas podcast and i have to say i'm going to be very uh, sad when this one's over because we've been having a lot of fun this is obviously one of my favorite seasons and As you can tell from our first podcast, just the Zoe jokes have been flowing and we've been having a good time. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be quite sad when we're done with this season.
0: Yes, but Zoe will live on forever in our hearts. Are you going to be okay
1: after she... Go ahead, Jay. (laughs) Well, I was just
2: going to say, we're just going to have to really, you know, work hard and play hard with all the the succeeding podcasts after this.
1: All right. I just want to make sure Paul's going to be okay after we're done with her vote out episode. Are you going to be able to get through this, Paul?
0: I'll, I'll try to. The only thing that I have to look forward to is uh, Thailand. I think there's an old lady who gets drunk and takes some tumble, so there's something Ooh, that's keeping me going.
1: That sounds exciting. All right, um, before we get into uh, Part 3 of Marquesas, Mar- Mar- episodes 9 through I believe 13, there's two things I wanted to bring up. I, I can't believe I kind of blanked on them in Part 2 of the podcast. Now, I'm not sure if you guys, if you were as big internet nerds as I was back in the day, but were you guys aware of the Gabriel and Sean scandal at the time?
2: I was aware of the
1: internet.
0: No, I, I don't know. Of, no, I i don't think I've heard of that one. All
1: right. This was actually a really big deal at the time. And this is back in the day when all, you know, all these people were out there trying to discredit reality TV and saying it was fixed and... You know, there was this whole the whole subsection of kind of the media just waiting for Survivor to do something dumb and for like it to come out that it was manipulated or fixed. And so they could kind of get forced it off the air. But there was a big one that came out in Marquesas because it was learned around the time of the merge that Gabriel Cade and Sean Rector had worked in the same bar in uh, Los Angeles. I think it was the belly bar, I believe. I forget which one. But there was a rumor that they actually knew each other before the season. And so, when the whole thing, when Gabe got over there, and they kind of bonded, and I remember a lot of people, when they found out that, oh, Gabe and Sean knew each other, this was a big scandal, kind of, on the message boards at the time, people saying, oh, Survivor's fixed, they cast people that know each other.
0: Which now, which is like common knowledge, I mean, Survivor pools from the same friend group, so, I mean, fast forward 10 years, it's nothing new, but yeah, for the time, I bet that would be pretty shocking.
1: It it was, and I have to say, it, it came up all over the place, and I remember... Yeah, this was, it was a big deal on the message boards. People were saying Marquesas is fixed, and they were saying, oh, the follow the road to force that never happens," because there was kind of some insider knowledge that Gabe and Sean bonded, and maybe they shouldn't have bonded. And the only reason I want to bring this up, A, because it was kind of a big deal at the time. This was really dominating kind of the survivor message boards of the story. In fact, to this day, I bet a lot of people still think that Gabe and Sean knew each other. And I want to bring it up because I actually asked Gabriel about this once in an interview. And Gabriel kind of got pissed about it. He's like, no, Sean and I never met. We worked at that bar, yes, but it was like years or months apart. They never even heard of each other before Survivor. So I just kind of wanted to bring this up because I remember it was a big deal at the time, and, and the true story never really came out. So I just kind of wanted to uh, just credit that whole thing that, that you know, s- there was some malfeasance going on in Marquesas because people knew each other. Gabriel and Sean never met before Marquesas. I heard that directly from Gabriel himself.
0: So what's your take on the issue, Mario? Great expert, Mario
1: my take is that gabriel is awesome
0: (laughs) of course you just you just brought i mean you purposely left the story out just so we could open up this whole part three with like you know 30 minutes on gabriel
1: Guys, i just like him guys no my take is i believe gabriel and i do not believe they actually knew each other that was actually a well-known bar in los angeles where a lot of wannabe actors kind of hung out and worked at the time and So it's not a coincidence that Gabe and Sean both came from there. In fact, I believe there's other people that came from that bar that ended up on Survivor too. So there's my take on it. I'm glad that it turns
2: out that they didn't know each other. Because if they had known each other going into a season of Survivor, it would have just ruined the whole season. I can't ever fathom a Survivor season where players go in (laughs) perhaps knowing each other, uh, maybe hanging out. Uh, or or being on like a previous season of survivor together i this is all i mean that would just sully the entire game i I can't even deal with it
1: (laughs) you guys are just baiting me with all stars this is killing me (laughs) it's well known that i hate all stars with a passion i will say nothing good about it and jay loves to needle me about it and it's to the point now where i'm about to go emo and start cutting myself because jay is getting my head
0: (laughs) wow survivor uh is a very intense game for those in it and those watching it (laughs) it's horrible all right, so let's get into Marquesas. And uh, right
1: around this, uh, I want to mention, right around this point in the season, there's this rumor going around, right around this fall of the Row 2-4, maybe even before the fall of the Row 2-4, that, oh, is going to win. You can tell just by watching the episodes. And this is something that was very widely reported at the time. This isn't so much a spoiler as it would be speculation, that if you watch the season, Marquesas, watch how many times there's a shot of the flag from behind. Like you see the Rotu flag, the Solyontu flag, but the camera's always behind it, so the letters always appear backwards. And I swear it happens twenty times throughout the season. And the rumor going around at the time was, well, that means Nalia wins because Nalia's name is Helen backwards, and they mentioned that in the first episode, I think, where her name is her grandmother's name spelled backwards. And so, if you watch the season, pay attention to all those backward flag shots, and just pay, and just realize there was a strong uh, undercurrent of people on the message boards at this time. Believed that Nalia was going to win, and that was the clue right there. That backwards flag was in every episode, and as you see Nalia getting closer and closer to the end, it looked like certain, like that was going to be the case. So most people kind of going into the last couple episodes thought Nalia was going to win for that sp- because of that quote-unquote spoiler. And I have to say, it kind of pissed me off at the time because it was like. That's the closest thing to a spoiler you'd actually seen on Driver. They're giving away the winner. And I, I was like the happiest guy in the world when it turned out Nalia lost the vote just because it dashed all this speculation that that flag thing was given away, that Nalia was the winner. Did you guys follow that flag stuff when it came out at the time?
0: Uh, I had heard about it afterwards, but I was uh, I was not uh, on the internet at that time. I think I think I probably had restrictions about what time I could be on the computer. I probably had my mom had to have my mom over my shoulder. So no, I, I don't have any rec- rec- uh, recollection of that.
2: He had a he had precious he had precious time of the day, Mario. You know he only had so much in the day, and it's like, do I go and dial up to the internet and look up survivor rumors, or do I pet my Tamagotchi?
0: I don't
1: know what that means. <laughs> All right. But, Jay, did you hear about the flag stuff when it was going on at the time? I have heard about the flags. I heard about it at the time.
2: I wasn't a huge Internet nerd, so some things when you say, yeah, there was this nerdy thing on the Internet, I will say, yeah, I knew that. And there are some things where I'll say I had no idea, like the Gabe Sean rumor, no idea. But the Nelia wins because the, the flags are backwards. Um, I did hear that one. Have we talked about the big V as well? we haven't
1: go ahead yeah go ahead and talk about that one
2: well there was the other one too and this was a more hindsight 2020 it wasn't as big as the nalia backwards flag rumor but uh you know at the end of the intro survivor marquesas you know uh when you see the logo survivor it kind of zooms in and the v and survivor right in the middle is very prominent in the screen and everyone kind of looked at that and said oh look the v is really huge does that stand for Vesepia? is that a is that a spoiler
1: yeah, I don't no, know. I do remember Is that. It? yeah, that was again, there's all sorts of the speculation slash spoilers going around throughout the seasons back in the day. And yeah, you'd hear the V wins because of the the uh, the can the canteen, I believe it was and then the Malia backwards flag. And I'm always wondered why all those black backwards flag shots are in the episodes. Do you guys have any theory? I mean, it could just be because the season was kind of backwards. It didn't follow the pattern of the traditional seasons where like the dominant characters won or dominant alliance won. So I'm curious. Do you think there was any reason all those backward flag shots were on the episodes? We saw them working
2: a lot. We saw them eating the food that they cooked. And on Mara Amu, before the merge, they had all those the, the food before the merge. And the backwards flag, they weren't predicting Nalia's victory. They were predicting Helen Glover on Survivor <laughs> Thailand. Come and be awesome and talk about food a lot.
1: Ah. Uh-huh. And yet, no? and yet you think no, no. Oh. i don't know maybe maybe they were predicting that helen wins too and then they fucked us over twice
0: yeah well maybe that too well just looking <laughs> at them you know if you look at them backwards it kind of looks like some writing that you know you don't know maybe something from africa and you just think of africa <laughs> things like sean and v and and maybe uh maybe that was a sign that that v was the winner
2: callback <laughs> <reference>. very, <laughs>
1: very nice good. very nice the uh, the young paul osselson with the jo- callback joke callback i'm trying Alright, let's get into the episodes here. Um, unfortunately, we have a ton to talk about on this podcast, and I want to talk about Vesepia a lot. So we're going to kind of condense the next three episodes, because really all they are are, you know, the rest of the row two Four getting voted off after John. You had John, then you had Zoe, then you had uh, Tammy, and then you had the General. I mean, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of interesting strategy or gameplay, if I'm correct. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as the whole direction of the game, I think there's some main things we can highlight here: some special moments, some rewards, even some changing of opinions. I think one thing that we definitely are going to have to touch on here is how you know we see kind of you know how the perception of Nalia really changes, especially among people within her own alliance, you know, V and Sean and stuff. But from a from a game, you know, from just strictly looking at the strategy, it's a pogonging of the three last members of this alliance. So we'll dive a little deeper into these episodes, but I mean, there's not the need to go into each separate. Episode and look at the strategy behind it because the strategy is pretty clear. This new five person alliance sticks together to the final five, then things get really juicy when you get down there. But I mean, the steps getting there is pretty basic. We eliminate Zoe, we eliminate Tammy, we eliminate the general. Yeah, it's the funny. I'm going
2: part... well. The Go saddest part is that we
1: eliminate Zoe with stilts. <laughs>
0: Yes, please talk about that. I
1: know Paul has been ramping up all week to talk about the fall of Zoe. So
0: Okay, I'll lead us seriously <laughs> to the fall of Zoe, because the, the, actually the whole episode of the fall of Zoe is actually there's some really magical moments that I do think we need to touch on. One, one a great thing is how this episode opens up, is we see Tammy and and General just kind of bitter about, you know, John really screwed us over, now we're in this horrible spot. And um, they're kind of like, you know, I wonder where Zoe's head is and all this. And then Tammy has this great series of confessionals where she says, you know, I I pulled Zoe aside and I wanted to tell her, you know, like it was nice, you know, when when we were in an alliance. And then uh, <laughs> Zoe's response to that was, well, it was a it was a pretty loose friendship. <laughs> and then Tammy just kind of looks at her, and then and then Zoe says, you know, do you uh, do you want to know how it really was from the beginning? I didn't really dig you. I didn't really dig the way your eyes were, your whole presentation. <laughs> and I uh, pretty much shoots uh, you know Tammy down. Tammy says, okay, if you want to play your game now, I'll shut up, but you can't deny it, say we weren't in an alliance. And, uh, you know, Zoe says she didn't come out here for a bunch of bullshit, so just <laughs> pretty much drop it, Tammy. I'm not on your side anymore. And that just leads into the rest of the episode of Zoe, you know, trying to make jewelry sucking up to people and Tammy being annoyed and and uh, Tammy kicking Zoe's ass, uh, uh, you know, playing stilts and whatnot. So it's just kind of a great great downfall of zoe who tries to completely distance herself from any kind of alliance or friendship if you will but in the end she gets pull off anyway so it is kind of a great ending to uh, marquesas's star well
1: then of course we have the very insightful quote from tammy where she says zoe's a bitch <laughs>
0: oh yeah i have changed my opinion on zoe zoe's a bitch well that's good because that
1: i mean that's character development we learned that previously to that zoe wasn't a bitch yeah true <laughs> but yeah it's funny I remember watching this episode just a couple days ago and really I don't have a whole lot of notes for this though really the only thing you can name this episode is Tammy Saves Herself that's really the entire story, entire storyline of the episode
2: yeah the the stilts challenge kind of throws that under the bus. You know, unfortunately with Zoe, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Marquesas is the first time we're getting kind of unbalanced edits with characters and stuff like that. And I've argued before that I believe Africa really Mm -hmm. kind of started that trend. But, you know, with Marquesas, we've got some pre-merge characters like Gina and especially Rob who are such... Uh, you know, to use Mad Dog words, constellations here, you know, <laughs> as far as characters go. And then you have Zoe. And I mean, Zoe is one of those unfortunate things. There are seasons where there are characters that get really far and they're uninteresting. And not just they're uninteresting, like they don't talk a lot. But I mean, here's Zoe, where she's clearly in this Row 2-4 alliance. And then she's like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> You know, and they're like, "Well, are you thinking about voting and strategy?" And getting... Uh, mm. you know, and it's just kind of <laughs> like this this stick in the mud kind of character. And then you're sitting there going, "Like, how the hell did they last even this far?" Oh, oh yeah, they didn't go to tribal council ever. You know, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna run into this. I, I believe that Karen from Survivor Palau is another one of these characters. Where it's like, you know, if it was a normal season and things are going back and forth, there's no way you get this far. But you know, circumstances being circumstances, it is. So Zoe is one of these unfortunate kind of characters that gets further than we than, than she probably should, and she's there, and then she's got to actually deal with all these real politics and fallouts and uh, semi-endgame stuff, and she is woefully unprepared for it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a, we had a reader, I think it was Melacabras, who wrote in and said that he thought the editors were kind of trying to... Maybe recast the uh, Toggy Four, the Toggy Alliance, and kind of the Roachu Four, kind of the Toggy Four. And his he, his theory was they must have thought that she would kind of be the Sioux Hawk, kind of like the salty, you know, the the earth works with her hands, like a fisherman slash lumberjack, those people. Yet I guess Zoe didn't quite have the the dynamic or whatever the word is, dynamicness that Sioux would have had.
0: Well, and then you just, you get her on the, the even the early show, which if, if you have the DVD to watch, Zoe, on the, inter, in, on the early show, it's almost painful, you know, trying to watch Jaden Clayson get this interview out of her, and was like, you know, like, she kind of asked, her like, okay, well, did you lie? Like, were you lying to Kathy? And she's like, I I don't remember what happened out there. I, I don't think so. <laughs> and you're just like, what? And then it cuts to this segment of her showing this sexy calendar of her on the beach naked, and you're like, who the hell is this woman?
1: i had never heard of the calendar before
0: yeah if you, if you i know it's hard to get to that whole segment if you get to the very, very end of the segment when they're sitting at the table having coffee they show this calendar called like a year in the life of zoe or something and there's a shot <laughs> where she's naked from the back of her like lounging on the beach and it's just it's kind of disturbing
1: wow <laughs>
2: Well that that's the whole that's the whole enigma of Zoe and I mean we've made we've made jokes about it before and it's and it's funny to joke around about but I mean there it is here's Zoe she's kind of socially awkward she's a what a lobster fisherman out of maine um she's you know i'm I'm not sitting here gonna say she's unattractive but i mean she's definitely not one of those models that they bring on the show but she's out there she's filleting snickers bars she's you know shaking her took us around she's going on the early show afterwards with this sexy calendar and she's like you know me guys work hard play hard and it's like this this lady lives in innuendo and yet it's just, it. it's mind-boggling when you think about and it. It's
0: shocking. She had never seen the show before. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's funny. She's one of those people, the
0: whole picture really doesn't kind of fit together. Yeah, no. You look
1: at definitely. all the different pieces yeah. of Zoe as the character, and they don't all really mesh into one. It's just, an, it's just an odd person in general. And it's funny, I've heard people have written me from the area, from Maine before, and actually said, well, she's kind of like a, a semi-celebrity up here. She's kind of a big deal. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> like,
0: what? What did she? Yeah, do? that's like, what she said. She like, they there was like a uh, they, they declared like this not or this like statewide holiday in the honor of her, and they gave her the key to the city and stuff. I'm like, what the hell? Really? They were impressed by her? <laughs> is, she, is she like
1: Paris Hilton? Is she just famous <laughs> for being famous? It's not that big of a deal. The key to
2: the city is actually one of those like big crab traps that you see on Deadliest Catch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, this is the last time I want to talk about Zoe and crabs. Thank you. <laughs> Well, <laughs> all
0: right. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll, but, 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 we'll have to
2: bring we'll have to bring Beatles back to see if he knows anything about that.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Well. As, as, oh, and also, the, uh, Zoe's final words are really awesome too. The way she like kind of gives a sexy wink and says good night to all and. She says something, she talks about herself in third person that, like, Zoe, it's like time for her to go home or something like that. And then, and then if you watch the whole extended one, she's kind of like choking up, like crying in the scene, too. And she's wow. just like, gets like really emotional about it. And then she gives this kind of sexy wink goodbye and kind of smiles at the camera. It's kind of terrifying, actually. Um, but, I think <laughs> bef- but I think also the one thing that we don't want to glaze over in this episode, too, is an awesome reward that we have between uh, uh, Sean and Pascal, the reward they go on.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah this is one I wrote about on the funny 115 and it's to this day still one of my all-time favorite reward scenes. This is where Sean and Pascal win the uh what did they fill up the bamboo shoots with coconut juice and they win a marquesan barbecue with like a, in the, with the the villagers and stuff. Right. And it's the one that starts with Sean getting on a horse and he has no idea how to ride a horse cuz he's from like Harlem and he's like the only horse I ever been on is the one in Central Park in the in the the merry-go-round before. So like we get ten minutes of him racking his balls repeatedly on the horse saddle.
2: Yeah, like the helicopter drops him off in the middle of that remote, awesome mountain, and then they're like, Okay. And then yeah. they, the Marquesan men come up with the two horses and they're like, Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, this is where we get the black guy on the horse. Let's watch as comedy ensues. <laughs> and then Sean has to like ride he has to like ride behind the Marquesan, like holding on to him.
2: Yes. Yeah, and he's you know, and he he of course is colorfully uh, uh, painting the scene because Sean is awesome. And then they have a good feast, and then they stuff their pockets, and then they make them go dance, and they've got like food in their pockets. Yeah,
1: that whole scene. I just watched that the other day, and I remember it being funny. And I watched it again. I'm like, Sean is on fire that entire scene. Every single one of his comments kills. Like this guy was such great narrator because he was funny, he was insightful, and he just he was just witty, and it was just fun watching him you know, kind of narrate this barbecue for us. And it was so ridiculous. Like, the ladies, the ladies, when they start dancing and stuff like that. I just love Sean in that scene.
2: It's a good scene. It's a great scene. I, I don't know how, if I can add any more to it other than, you know, great reward, good thing. And then uh, and then we get stilts.
1: And then we get stilts. Maybe, arguably, the single greatest immunity challenge in Survivor history. I'm going to go out and say that.
0: And uh, it, I I... I I almost saw a Zoe tumble there when her uh, when her still kind of goes backwards. She kind of like falls off and Jeff asks, are you okay? Yep. And uh, almost almost got a tumble there.
1: Was it a sexy tumble?
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, it would have been. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this is, for those of you who don't remember the episode, it's the, like I said, this is the Tammy Saves Herself episode because we know Tammy's going to get voted out. So Tammy says, well, I'm not going to get voted out. I'm going to win immunity. And it turned out the immunity challenge is stilt fighting, Marquesan stilt fighting, where they walk on stilts towards each other and then knock each other off. And the only problem is Tammy's the only one who cares about immunity, so she practices, no one else does. And when they get to the challenge, it's hilarious because seven out of the eight people not only don't get to stilt fight, they can't even walk on stilt. They take one step on the stilt and fall over, and it's maybe the stupidest challenge ever. It's a horrible
2: challenge. Yeah. It's a horrible challenge. It's so tough. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, Marquesas, one of the best seasons ever. And I'm not going to deny it. It's a really great season. But for anyone's like, it's the best season, bar none. It's like, first of all, we had a kite flying challenge. And now we've got stilts, which is a horrible concept. And I understand there's, you know, local tradition within stuff like that, but it's a horrible concept. And then Tammy's the only one that practices. And you're like, oh, well, she got good at the stilts. And they have like dramatic music and show her like being dedicated to stilt craft. And it's like, her practice paid off as she won immunity because she was able to last on the stilts for more than two seconds.
1: I think Vesepia was the only other one who could take more than three steps.
2: Yeah, Vesepia took a couple of steps. And so like the Vesepia-Tammy showdown was like gripping television because it was like, who's going to who's gonna make it to five seconds on the stilts?
1: <laughs> Just a horrible challenge. In fact, this whole episode isn't that great. And I will say, I, I kind of wrote in my notes here that It would have been tough for any episode to follow the John episode, because that was such an amazing game-changer. And in this one, where really nothing happens, I mean, thank God for that barbecue feast with Sean and Pascal, because it was so fun. And, you know, there were some nice moments with Sean and Pascal bonding on the beach, like, you know, a Southern judge and a kid from Harlem hanging out, and so world's colliding. And it was... I mean, thank God for that scene, because otherwise, the fall of Zoe really doesn't have a whole lot.
2: Well, it has Zoe.
1: It has Zoe, who... I should add, when she gets voted out, do you remember what she turns around and says, Paul? She says something to all the players. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. That's right. Work hard, play hard. Strength and honor. I'm posing naked in a calendar, Zoe.
0: Oh man.
2: <laughs> uh, I thought she. I thought she turned around and said, "This is the best view you're ever gonna get." Me walking away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad to say this may be the, all we have to say about Zoe. Is this really the end of Zoe and the Historians podcast, guys? No, no, no. We've got final travel counsel. Okay, good. Thank God. All right. So with Zoe out of the game as the second juror, we go into the next episode, which if I believe is the, just like last episode, was the Tammy Saves Herself episode. This is the Robert Saves Himself episode. You can see this little pattern developing.
0: And We pop popcorn in the episode. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: That's right, and I should point out one of the few nighttime challenges Survivor has ever done.
2: Oh god, it's the popcorn challenge, You're right. Yeah, it's the popcorn,
1: sponsored by Jiffy Pop.
2: Oh, oh my god. No, that was cool though, I liked it. But Very I mean, cool. seriously, here we go, this is the Campfire Parlor games. We've had kite flying, we've had stilts, and now we have make a fire so that you can pop popcorn.
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's see. I'm going through my notes here for this episode. This is the one... uh, Let's see. It's Vesepia's birthday. No one cares. It wasn't really interesting. I even wrote in my notes... There's not a whole lot going on in this this season right now. So it's all basically character scenes and camp scenes. Which is cool, but it doesn't really develop the season any. It's just... I mean, I'm glad they have those character scenes, but I have nothing to say about them.
0: Right, and that's just, you know, leading up to this reward challenge. And, you know, they kind of set this up as V's birthday. And that kind of gives Sean the perfect example to kind of, you know kind of, you know, diss Nalia a little bit more about how she shouldn't be, should have been picked to go on this reward. It really should have been Vesepia because it was her birthday.
1: Yeah. uh, And if if the audience had cared more about Vesepia, I can see that scene might have gotten more play. but no one really was a big Vesepia fan. So, yeah, Sean's like, well, it's V's birthday, you should take her. I'm like, all right, whatever. Thanks, (laughs) Sean.
2: I was by totally the way, floored that I was totally floored that Pascal won the challenge. By the way, it was like like drag a huge ass rock, and it was like you know the fifty pound you know withering away judge you know who's older than everybody else like com- but with their ages combined like kicked their all their
1: asses. Yeah, I love that he outmuscles the general and carrying a rock back to shore. Exactly. Although I love that scene where, you know, they dive down, which I should point out again, Veseppi and Sean can't swim, smashing stereotypes as
0: always. (laughs) V just gives up on the first time. Yeah, she actually, Sean
1: actually outlasts somebody and Sean can't swim. Yep. So they get to part two, they have to carry that rock into shore, and you got the great scene where, inexplicably, Pascal gets superpowers. He gets bitten by a radioactive spider or something, and all of a sudden he's strong. And he's like bending over real low and just, sprinting underwater with this rock and he looks like you ever seen those lizards that can run across the water the surface of the water that's exactly what pascal looks like i mean it makes me laugh every time
0: it just comes out of nowhere pascal was like you know he sat out of challenges for row two when they had like paddling challenges and stuff and you know never have you ever seen him as a strong challenge competitor and then he just kicks everyone's ass
1: (laughs) not even close he wins by like like 30
0: minutes (laughs) he beats robert he beats tammy he beats kathy (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, it's thank God work hard, play hard. Zoe wasn't there, because I don't know if he could have got past her.
0: Because we would love to see uh, Zoe sprawled out on the deck of that yacht. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> All right, so Pascal wins. <clears throat> he gets to go on the uh, cruise ship reward where they have the night on the fancy cruise ship. And, of course, he gets to take someone. He takes Nalia, and they go. And this leads to, of course, uh, one of my all-time favorite survivor moments coming up, the Chewed Mint. Although, was, was there anything that happens on the cruise ship before that? Aside, the from Malia, that, yeah, aside from Leah well, saying, oh, my heck, every 30 seconds.
2: The only thing that really makes me weird is it's it's happened before. It's happened in, in, in uh, Australia and other things. It always seems like a lot of times whenever they get these food rewards where they go on a yacht or they get to go somewhere, you know, somewhere other than the tribal feast where they don't really get uh, uh, food that's more like, you know, normal kind of resort food or something like that. They always go frickin' bananas over the bread. The bread. Gotta
0: love everyone, carbs.
2: Yeah, they're just like, oh, my God, bread, or oh, my God, rolls, oh, bread, and it's like you're going to get, like, roast chicken and, like, a total, like, bangerang feast from Hook coming out, but they just want to sit there and go, like, oh, the bread
0: and butter. It's like, <laughs> really? Oh, my God. But okay. no wine no, no for uh, for Pascal and Leah.
1: Yeah, I know. Nobody, neither one drinks. By the way, Jay, your comment about everyone loving bread, it just makes me think how hilarious it would be when Amber Burkich walks into Panera. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my
0: god! <laughs> Sourdough. All
1: right. So yeah, Nalia and Pascal they go. They get their food. They come back to camp. And really, this is even though I'm, we're kind of writing off this episode as not being important. This is an important one in the storytelling of the season because up to this point, Nalia has not really had a character other than being sweet. And man, does her edit take a hit in this episode. I mean, the editor just fertilized for the entire last thirty minutes of this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, the episode title is called The Princess.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. That's, It's like they knew Vesepio was going to be their winner, and they knew they had to kind of find a way to sell it to the audience. And they could probably tell at this point, the producers could tell, you know, Viseppe is not really a fan favorite, no one cares. So they kind of have to make Nalia take a little bit of a hit to explain why she loses. And, man, this whole episode is just people complaining, man, Nalia doesn't work, she's a princess, she's overdoing the sweetness thing, I don't buy it. And then you got the scene with the mint, where she literally offers seven starving people in mint that she's chewing in her mouth. Oh, it's really good, you guys. And it's funny people laugh about that scene, but, I mean, that scene right there might be why Nalia loses Survivor. Now, not not literally she loses because of the mint, but just her lack of self-awareness. And she just is not a savvy person, kind of in human interpersonal skills, because she's so young. And so that's actually a key moment in this season, that mint, because her whole character takes a huge turn in this episode. This is the one where you're supposed to realize the other players just don't really like or don't respect Nalia as a competitor.
0: Well, it's from the editing standpoint, you can see what they try to do, and you kind of see where it kind of falls through at the end of the episode because they're really building up as, you know, Nalia's this player who doesn't work, no one really likes her on the camp, blah, blah, blah. Then you even hear you know, Tammy, when she casts her vote later in the episode, she says, you know, I just don't think you pull your weight around camp, and you think it's Nalia, and they actually vote for Vesepia. Yeah,
1: <laughs> out of nowhere.
2: It's tough, and, and I, I feel bad in a lot of ways, because, you know, they do that thing where... It, I don't think that they really wanted uh, the survivors when they go on these rewards and whatnot to try to sneak back food for people. But as you can see, it happens quite a bit, and it's a good way to curry a little favor. Kind of like, oh, I brought you a little something, a little food. And we've had some fun uh, instances of this through the through the years, with through the seasons. I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot more in other seasons. But, you know, it's always tough because then, you know, Pascal and Sean brought back a ton of food. They were able to, like, just you know, almost take away, like, the entire tablecloth there at the Marquesan Uh Feast. And then they go on this boat, which is a little bit, I think, a little tighter with their food and a little bit um, difficult to kind of navigate everything out. And they come back, and they, you know, they didn't really have the opportunity to bring back any food. Maybe they didn't. And then, you know, the survivors are like, they didn't steal food for us at these rewards. What what dicks? And it's like, are you really thinking about what you're asking them to do at this point?
1: Yeah. (laughs) This is the episode. So after that, after Nalia shares a mint out of her mouth, and they all complain about Nalia and how she's a spoiled little brat. Then we have the famous popcorn immunity challenge, one of Jay's favorites, where they have to Holy build a fire shit. and and pop one kernel of popcorn.
0: <laughs> just one, just one. I don't know oh, why. It bugs, way, don't I don't know it. why it
2: bugs me so much. I don't know why it bugs me so much because you know we've had these fire building challenges where it's like build a fire enough to like you know make a bucket, you know. Drop or, you know, have a have a string break so that a flag rises. That's just as stupid as, you know, make a make make a, a heated walk with oil and kernels in it. Pop popcorn. But I don't know, for some reason, it's like the end result then was make a fire so that it can set off a signal. But this one is make a fire so that you can cook some delicious morsels of food. <laughs>
1: this is like I said the Robert saves himself episode and you know the big tough general he's got to save himself this is his episode and you think they're going to give him some badass immunity challenge where he has to carry a lot of weight like Andrew Savage or something and he can prove that he's a man and they'll not vote him out but no the challenge that saves Robert is he, he can pop popcorn first
2: yeah he almost said that too he's like I'm going to save myself like Andrew Savage uh, exactly he, he'll he will be there in, 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 in three seasons no you watch
1: <laughs> yes so, uh, yes, Robert wins immunity, and then we go to Tribal Council and we lose Tammy. Well, I have to say, Tammy is one of those characters, I think she would have been fantastic in 9 out of 10 Survivor seasons. She was just so mean. It just had that nasty little look on her face, and she was competitive. And she just kind of got dealt a bad hand in Marquesas. She got sucked into John's alliance and got picked off. Like, you put her in any other season, she would have been one of the main villains. She just would have been this huge character, I believe, in and one of my one of my more underrated moments of Marquesis is Tammy gets voted out. You know, she's sitting there at tribal council, all the votes are coming up for Tammy. She gets this little smirk on her face and it's the nastiest little smirk. It's not even a mean smirk. It's just like you're going to vote me out and now I'm going to be an angry juror and watch what comes out of my mouth now. And it's just like it's the happiest meanest little smirk and it's just something I love about Tammy that I really think she's one of those forgotten survivor characters that really had the potential to be so much better, and I really wish they would have used her in some other capacity, maybe in some other All Star season.
0: And I think she's like the first one who doesn't even wait for Jeff Probst to say it's time for you to go. He snuffs, you know, he snuffs her torch, and she just bolts out of there like "f you."
1: She does, and she was great. That's, I just love her. She's so one-dimensional, and that's. I like my characters to be have depth and be gray and like have different variants. Tammy has no depth, her personality, she's just competitive and mean and I just love that, I used her in my all-star survivor story, my all-star Alaska and she was easily one of the best characters in that story I mean, all the people wrote about her and I actually even got people to root for her in that story, which is almost impossible to get people to root for Tammy, but yeah, I just really can't say enough about Marquesas and st- even the minor characters like Tammy she just had so much to offer and unfortunately she wound up in a storyline where she wound up being you know irrelevant and it's a shame because she was really cool
2: in a way, she was dealt a bad hand just for the fact that ROTU was so good at everything. Yeah. She 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 needed a little bit of adversity. She needed uh, things to kind of go wrong. She needed people to kind of pull in. You know, she she needed all of that sort of stuff. But no, ROTU was working. ROTU was competent. ROTU was happy. ROTU was fed. ROTU won challenges. And, you know, for someone who is just like an all-and-out competitor pit bull, there's just, okay, then you're just, you know, status quo everything's great and she needed she needed that uh you know that the the sort of wrinkles to come into play to kind of work her her little angle and it didn't show up and i it's really weird to say success kind of screwed up her game but success kind of screwed up her game a little bit
1: yeah and even worse it screwed up her character that's yeah. the thing you you needed her to have an enemy early in the season. Like she could have been a Jerry, she could have been a Lindsay. Just yep. the audience just would have hated her if she had like gone after Nalia or Gabriel or someone early in the season. And there was no opportunity. And it's just one of those, you know. There's certain minor characters in every season that just kind of stand out. Tammy has always been in the back of my head as someone that really kind of got dealt a bad hand in the world of Survivor characters because really she could have been so much more.
2: I agree. I agree, one hundred percent.
0: Would you say she's a pit bull?
1: i'm not gonna i will i refuse to comment on that all right so uh we lost uh tammy and i guess the next episode is we're about to lose robert it's about time for the fourth member of the row two four to go down
0: who is uh (laughs) about as boring as zoe actually
1: (laughs) yeah i i'll stick up to tammy to the death but robert i have really nothing to say about he's kind of boring
2: Which is sad because, you know, when you think about, yes, we know that, you know, the original Road to, they all had uh, uh, nicknames, Tonga and Scoop and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But really the ones that that kind of really survived the test of time is, you know, the general and and Johnny Potts and Pans, I think are kind of like the two. But the general is like he's got like the one nickname where, you know, it is I am the general. And, and, you know, someone was kind of going into the season going like, ah I guess I better watch out for this Robert, the general
1: character. And it's like, no, you don't really have to. It was funny. I just had Marquesas on the background the last couple of weeks, and I was watching it, taking notes for this podcast. And my kids were kind of watching it, too. And my son, my son's 10 years old, and he's kind of watching it as, as I'm watching it. And one day he turns to me and says, I like Robert. I want Robert to win. I'm like, are you insane? So I'm like, going to take him to the doctor to make sure he's not insane. Like Robert, how'd you get Robert? That's so random. I know. So he's a big the general fan. He may be the only the general fan out there.
2: We're so sorry, Mini Lanza, that the general couldn't live up to your expectations.
1: (laughs) He was crushed. He was crushed in the Robert Boot episode. I'm like, dude, I thought this kid was stronger than that. But no, Robert being voted out crushed him. All right. um, Aside from Robert being voted out, there's two interesting things that happen in this episode. And the first one is the reward challenge, which is where the family members come out. And. I probably don't have to point this out, but if you did not grow up watching Survivor, and chronologically, this was the first time in Survivor history, I believe, that the loved ones actually came out to the island to compete, and this is also the first one that they actually did the competition to themselves.
2: Yeah, first time all the loved ones were there. Yes.
0: Yes, I actually just watched this today, and it's funny the lineup there, and uh, which family member did not dress up for the occasion uh robert's sister, if you sister and look at the lineup they all i mean are like dress prizes she's just wearing these like sweatpants and oversized t-shirt and like. <laughs> you knew you were gonna be on tv diana can we put something <laughs> a little bit better together here i mean look at nalia's mom she wore some cute <laughs> overalls for the event
1: what i remember about that challenge is nalia's mom comes out first and she, what'd she say? Like, you go, girl. You, you keep go. fighting. Something <laughs> yeah. like that. And like, I love that Nalia's mom is loud and annoying too. And she also has long hair. It just fits.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, like, don't all the loved ones come out and they all yell something encouraging, like, you go or you stay strong out there? It's like, were they re- tra- contractually required to say something inspirational on the way out?
0: Mark Burnett had a little pep talk with them. Okay, all right. What's your what's your catchline going to be? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which is sad, because uh, maybe they had to do that scene over again, because maybe they all came out and went, well, where the fuck is Zoe? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> well, we, oh my god, I just realized, biggest injustice in the history of Survivor, we didn't see Zoe's loved one. Oh, oh my, my gosh, god. I just like want to quit now. Can you imagine... <laughs> Paul's
1: walking off the podcast. He just Seriously, stormed out. I
0: just, I've never thought about that before. Zoe and her loved one—I don't care who it is, whoever would be a loved one with Zoe—probably would be the photographer to her calendar.
2: Yeah, I was, I was just um. gonna say it's her photographer. He comes out with like a like a like a Nikon and a and a, and a thing of oil and says, "Are we ready to
1: shoot now?" <laughs> you know, it's gonna be like Coach. The assistant lobster fisherman comes out.
0: <laughs> his his little, uh, if the photographer came out, the the catchphrase he would yell out would be "Say cheese." <laughs>
1: Turn around, work it, work that (laughs) angle, work that hot stuff. (laughs) Oh, no. My
0: sexy little lobster, that's it.
1: (laughs) We have to sell. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys, I'm going to show you my lobster. All right, I think we're done.
2: (laughs) (laughs) See, we'll never be done with Zoe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh what I remember about that challenge is aside from being historic and just kind of a fun challenge, but it's got that moment where Sean's brother has to like randomly eliminate one of the other loved ones and they're not allowed to talk to the players. So like the loved ones have no idea who gets along with who. And it's got the great team where Sean's brother's like, Who do I eliminate? And Sean just kinda of raises his hand, like, I can't tell you. Like I and then Sean throws up or his brother throws up his hat and, and takes out the Sepia's uh his fiance or husband. I forget if they were married yet, but he takes out Leander. So, like, Sean's loved one takes out Basepia's loved one, which is just tragic if you think about it. <laughs> Apparently not.
0: It's just tragic. I'm crying about it.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Casual Pascal type racism is chilling, Paul.
0: <laughs> and Pascal <laughs> well, just, and his was hot wife.
1: Like... Yeah, Pascal's got like a trophy <laughs> wife. How'd that happen? Must be all that running underwater, carrying rocks. You know, she's attracted to the athletes. She has a lizard fetish. Yes. So anyway, uh, Kathy's son, Patrick, wins the challenge. And I love the scene where Patrick wins and Kathy comes screaming at him and starts doing Kathy things. And I remember watching that scene and laughing and I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I don't want Kathy to be my mom. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, baby! Yeah. She starts straddling him and stuff. So great.
2: Well, the funny thing is is that we then get Kathy's son, who is like the biggest dud on planet Earth. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he comes out, he's not interesting. He has no inflection or personality in his voice. And I, I hate that we're talking crap about loved ones now, but he kind of is. He's kind of boring. And that whole scene where he lives there at camp is really not interesting. And unfortunately, it's probably the case where Kathy herself is so dynamic and loud and, you know, charismatic. And she's such a type A that her son probably is not because he's not allowed to because she takes up so much energy in a room at all times. And so unfortunately, that's kind of the scene where you got Kathy and her son back at camp. And really, nothing interesting happens last night, I recall. <laughs>
2: No, he, he he seems like a totally normal dude, which is the thing. Like, he seems like such a such a nice person in real life, but he's just like, yeah, I'm out here on the island. There's no electricity. Uh, there's no toilet. Uh, this kind of sucks.
1: My mom keeps giving me smoochy That's annoying.
0: And then he makes the the big faux pas of saying his favorite dessert, uh, and then he starts describing it and says, "It's you know, first you take a clump of ice cream." They're like, "Yeah." And then you roll it in coconut, and they're just like, stop talking. They're just like, Ugh. What's, it. <laughs> your s- what's your second favorite dessert?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you just ruined this for me.
0: <laughs> I remember this specifically
1: in the Marquesas reunion show. Rosie O'Donnell asked the players, is there any food you'll never eat again? And they all say, coconut. And I think someone calls it the C word. Like, no one on this cast will ever eat coconut again. They hate it so much. So that's the backstory behind why they hate Patrick uh, Patrick Vabric O'Brien's dessert
0: tumbleweed
1: yes is that the name of the dessert or are you just yelling no. out random words
0: <laughs> that, that that's what the name of the dessert is <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> alright so what else happens in this one we got uh, a. <clears throat> so after the reward challenge the immunity challenge and uh it's the slingshot, right? They gotta use the slingshot and break the tiles.
0: Right. And then the the last three standing happened to be Kathy, Nalia, Vesepia going out in that order, which is very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's funny. They they give away the final or they don't give away, but it's a nice foreshadowing, and then Kathy's like, Chicks, chicks rule, man. And I remember writing in my in my column that week how many times I'd heard some variant of Chicks Rule or Chicks Are Awesome throughout Marquesas. I'm like, I bet this season's gonna have a female winner. That's the reason you kinda hear keep hearing people say that so much. But yeah. In this episode, they definitely foreshadow the final three right there. Kathy, uh, Nalia, and Vesepia. And if I'm correct, aren't Nalia and Vesepia the final two in this challenge also?
0: Correct. And then, uh, obviously, Vesepia wins it, and it uh, goes Jesus crazy.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Vesepia doesn't win it. God actually wins it.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> it's always good when God's on your side.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, Vesepia wins her only immunity. She goes absolutely nuts, starts screaming, you know, gee, God is great, Jesus is awesome, thank God, thank you, Jesus, and... I gotta say we're gonna get more to this in the in the reader questions, but people always ask, what was the response to Viseppia at the time? I'm like, people fucking hated Visepia. And it's because of this Jesus stuff where she just comes out and starts sprouting off about Jesus for no reason. Like she wins a challenge and you got a three minute, you know, tribute to Jesus, how he won the challenge for her and stuff. And yeah. That was the thing. People really were kinda of turned off by Viseppi, and it was mainly stuff like that that did it.
2: No, she was she was not well liked. Uh it, you know that that stuff didn't vibe, and you know Survivor. I think in the in the in the more modern era, they've they've kind of hit on a lot of religious tones uh, through a lot of things. But it was it wasn't so huge back in the early days. I mean, we had Dirk, the Bible thumper, in the first season. But I mean, that was. You know, other than a brief scene or two here, I mean, it really wasn't touched on. Vesepia, she's a major character. She's our winner. So, you know, when she's saying stuff and and, and going off, uh, you know, on these religious tangents, we kind of have to follow her with it. And, you know, I don't don't think Survivor, again, it's kind of like racial things. It's kind of like a lot of things Survivor's doing. I don't think they quite know what to do with it yet. And so they just kind of put it out there. Mm-hmm. In very weird clump. And I think that because of that, because they didn't try to shape or package or do any sort of clever thing, it just kind of hung Vesepia out to dry, I think, because then it 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 looked real abrasive and weird and and people didn't really jive with it,
1: yeah, I would agree, And I would add to that that if you remember, they do a lot of that with Sean too. In fact, I think Sean talks about God more than Vesepia does throughout the season, if you pay attention. He has that scene at the start with Peter where they're praying. And then when Sean wins an immunity, he does the same thing, I can I can do all things through Christ. And it's it's really jarring because that kind of comes out of nowhere in some of these scenes. And again, I will point out that Sean was not particularly well-liked by the audience either, which might seem surprising to a modern audience. But yeah, Sean and Vesepia, you could say there were some racial overtones that people weren't real comfortable with these two African-Americans talking about racial issues. But it was the Jesus stuff, I think, that really turned off a lot of viewers. And yeah, Sean and Vesepia were really not particularly well-liked. <laughs> All right, so after the challenge, we have a... Uh, this is actually a crucial moment. You kind of think nothing happens in these episodes, but there's a crucial moment in this episode where Kathy has to decide if she wants to join up with a general and start messing with the structure of the game and start forming her own little two-person alliance, or if she just wants to go with the flow with her five. And I've always said this is the episode where she really costs herself, where as much as I love Kathy, as much as she was a big fan favorite, this is the one, the episode where she really loses Survivor because she doesn't force a tie with Robert. I think she would stuck would have stuck with him. She could have done some damage later. But instead she votes him off and she really kind of shoots herself in the foot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's a big question. It kind of carries on into the next episode, too, what Kathy should have should have done. But, you know, I mean, one big move was made, and we don't see this for a couple more seasons, you know, that, that people can make another big move. You know, Kathy had already made her big move, and I think a lot of it from her end was, you know, scared to make that big move again. That that had never been done before. What You know, would that be a positive thing, a negative thing in the eyes of the jury to see Kathy make a big move again when she already was being seen as quite a strong player? So... Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to see what would have happened had she had she stuck with with the general, maybe taken out Pascal and Aaliyah.
2: Well, you know, and from modern eyes, knowing more about Survivor uh, strategy that we do now, you can see that Kathy is kind of playing this third place game because she votes out the general, and she's got now you know V and Sean, who even though they aren't like final two to the end, they're pretty. Buddy, buddy, with everything going on, and then you got Nolia and Pascal, which are kind of uh, the couple. We're not voting for each other, and she's kind of firmly in between. And it's it's a good position to be in because now there's these two powers, and she's kind of the swing vote. But it's like once you get down to three, those two you know people are going to be tied to each other. So it's like at some point you're setting yourself up for the fact that you've got to win that final three immunity, and that's always
1: a really risky play. Yeah, especially if you're not a big challenge god. I mean, it's. She wasn't facing these challenges, so it's not one of these type of people like Colby who can put himself in a position where he just can immunity run to the end. Right, exactly. And I, I have to say, what's hilarious about the whole Kathy General thing is when I, whenever I watch this season, obviously I, I see her not vote with the general. I'm like, she screws herself. It's so, in hindsight, it's so obvious. Like that's what she should have done. But if she had sided with the general, do you know what the chances were that the general could have won this season?
0: <laughs> uh, scarily high. She-
1: That kills me when I think about that. If she could have got to the final two with the general, who would have been the biggest, strongest guy left, maybe he would have won some challenges, he would have ended up with a jury with all row two four members who all would have voted for him to win. And he's got three easy votes right there. I mean, if she had sided with the general, maybe Kathy was even thinking about that. Maybe he was too big of a jury threat. But had she gone with him, there was a decent chance he could have won this season. He would be the fourth winner of Survivor. Right, and if
2: she goes with him, then she's screwing over Pascal and Leah Sean V. So, you know, and the general is just there, so the blame's kind of off him. So not only does he get the three of the f- row two four there, you know, he just needs one of those other two couples.
1: It's crazy. Yeah, the one, especially Marquesas, are just mind-boggling. Like, can you imagine if Robert DeCanio is listed among the Survivor legends and he would have made Survivor All-Stars? Well,
0: <laughs> hopefully we would have gotten a little bit of a different story. Maybe we would have <laughs> found something more interesting about him. But, I mean...
1: I, yeah, I don't know. I know my my son would have had a much happier life, I will say that. All right, so to lose the general who happily ended up being insignificant in the Survivor universe other than once yelling at me at a porta potty. But I think I told that story already. So next we go to the next episode, which if you look at it on the DVD is called The Tale of Two Cities, but in my in my article when I wrote my column that week, I remember calling it Kathy's Choice. And I still to this day call this episode Kathy's Choice
0: yeah it's a good one it's a very i mean i remember when this tribal council aired it was so like so big they re-aired it saturday night the day before the finale because it was you know everyone was talking about it and that 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 final tribal council there was so awesome
2: yeah i mean and it's yeah kathy's choice and this is i think that kathy when she was looking kind of near the end of the game and seeing her choices and what she was doing i think she was thinking about this i've got Sean and v here I've got Pascal and Aliyah here, and I'm gonna be in the middle. And it's like for this one moment, life is really good.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this episode. You got Kathy kind of stuck in the middle. You got the race wars, which really kind of come out of nowhere in this scene in the episode where Vasaka I think is talking at night where everyone assumes that Sean and her and her are together, and then Aaliyah and Pascal get mad about that. And and Pascal says something again, which was very uncomfortable, which was uh what does he say i have it written in my notes here he says uh yeah uh v and sean are looking for handouts they're the type of people looking for handouts and it makes me sick and i'm like whoa whoa whoa, pascal well, let's hold on here and nalia kind of says something like that too which is really inadvertent she says i just watched this i'm trying to remember what her wording was she says uh v is bringing race into this and that has not been a part of anything at all people like that always do this or something <laughs> like that like, whoa it's just, this episode is particularly uncomfortable to watch because there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's really on both sides. It's not any one person is kind of at fault, but it's just, there's a lot of miscommunication, a lot of mistrust, and it's just really a kind of a nasty episode.
0: I mean, the, the, there's been a lot of time that's gone, you know, past since this episode aired, but I remember, like, really watching it, and you just really, like... You know, you can really feel the tension there, and I always was watching it. Maybe it was, my, from my young Montana perspective, I was always on Team Pascal and Lea there, which now, looking back, I don't think I <laughs> should, should have, you know, just, you know... Say that so loud and publicly, yeah, Pascal Dalia, <laughs> Fu and Sean. But I don't know. It's it's one of the things that's hard. I, I, a friend of mine did recently, she's been, she went back and she rewatched all the seasons within the past year, and she wasn't really a, a Vesepia and Sean fan. But you know, she talked to me, and she's like, you know, they they have some points that they're saying there, and so it's kind of hard for me to go back and try to re-see the episode from a different perspective. But I mean, there's definitely some some big issues, some heavy stuff going on in that episode.
1: Yeah, and it carries over into the finale, too. I mean, this is, you think of these five as kind of like a love tribe. They knocked off Rue 4 They're all buddy-buddy. We have all these scenes prior to this episode how, you know, a good person's going to win this time because we all play honestly. We all trust each other. And then this episode kind of comes out, and it just kind of, the shit hits the fan. It's nuts. And I think we also learned from this episode a new word where Nalia says that if Vesepia or Sean wins, then she's going to be pukey-sick. So pukey-sick is a new adjective.
0: Which that's the one thing that's really kind of peculiar, you know, they're, they're the ones who jump onto this alliance with them and they say, you know, it's a five of us to the end. We're going to play this game fairly. We're not going to let someone, you know, that are being manipulative win. And then all of a sudden they're disgusted again by the fact that one of the African things could win. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Hopefully uh, Nelia was... didn't, she didn't get pukey sick in Sean's car, right?
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, this is the episode I, where Sean wins the car, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is where they have the reward challenge where they recycle past the stuff from all the past challenges. And it's really not even close. Sean wins by like 20 minutes. And what I remember about this scene is like one of the steps stages is stilt walking. And all of a sudden, Sean knows how to walk on stilts where he didn't. He couldn't yeah, even take yeah, one yeah, step a couple of days ago. So, like he gets to the stilts. He just breezes by like, yeah, no problem. Like, oh, that was good. And I should point out that the car win that Sean wins is a Saturn view, which is the same car that I drive right now. So I'm sure Sean is very, very happy with his view. Assuming that it lasted very long in the hood. You
2: you you're driving Sean's view? <laughs> I'm driving You a son Saturn of a bitch. View. He probably wants that back.
1: Well, it's all these bastards. They sell their car on eBay. It's not my fault.
2: No, yeah. He wins it and he wins it by a mile and it and, it, and it's not even close. It's it's actually a really, really anticlimactic scene. Uh, with the car, but at least, you know, it wasn't a Pontiac Aztec. That's always...
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a deal breaker. Yeah, well, um, what happens, though, is then Sean wins the challenge, and then he does basically what Vesepia does. People forget that Sean did this, too, and Sean's like, I can do all things through Christ. Christ propels me and all this stuff. And I'm like, again, i got to reiterate, Sean and V were not real popular characters. And, again, it's this religion stuff, just winning and then, being a loud mouth like Sean is and start screaming that Jesus did it and Jesus this. And it's like, that was really off putting to a survivor audience. And you can make the argument that people just didn't like Sean in general, but yeah, that religion stuff coming out of Sean and V's mouth really was not well received at the time. I hope Sean wins the
2: car this episode. Cause this is it. <laughs> this is it. Yes.
1: <laughs> Thank you. By the way, I should point out that, you know, Sean is Sean always a really complex character. It's like he's kind of a loudmouth, mouth, provocative, he starts fights, but he has a really cool quote after this after he wins that challenge, and I like to highlight this because I think people forget this, where Sean says, um, I dedicate this win to all the kids out there who watch Survivor and who feel represented by me. And I really thought that was a really introspective and kind of a neat quote for someone really young, like Sean, to say. Like He's doing this for all the brothers out there who watch a guy in Survivor and see that he can compete and you can kind of do this stuff in the world. So I always liked Sean for stuff like that. I should point out Sean that Sean is super for- smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should point out that He's super forget- smart. He's super good. He's super good. But uh, people forget that he was, like, the number one teacher in America at one point. He was, like... Or in California, I forget. I forget. But he was, like... He's, like, a nationally acclaimed teacher. He's really good with kids and stuff. So people kind of don't remember that about him.
2: That'll be on his tombstone. Sean, really good with kids and stuff. <laughs> yes.
1: <clears throat> All right. Well... Once we get Sean wins the car and they get back to camp, there's a scene here that I, I'm dying to highlight because this is one that I don't think many people remember. And this is something we've ta- I've talked about before, how after the season ended, Vesepia kind of came out in interviews and said how she would love to start fights between people. How she would say, hey, let's discuss this, knowing full well it would, it would turn into a fight and she would get no drama pulled her way because everyone else would be fighting. And there's a great moment in this episode where you can kind of see how she does that. Where she even says, she's like, Yeah, I knew all the race stuff was uncomfortable. So I didn't I, what did she say? She says, I hate for all of us to go to bed feeling uncomfortable. Let's talk about what happened earlier. And then the whole race war starts up again between Sean, Nalia, and Pascal. And if you watch, there's Vizepe just sitting in the side, taking no heat, no drama. The vote will never come her way because no one notices she's the one that's starting these fights. Yeah, and I don't it's and it's one of those things that I can't you can't tell just by watching if she does it on purpose to start a fight or if it just happens. But in interviews after the season, she would say that was kind of the, one of the things she did all the time. And that's how you stay out of the drama. You make sure other people fight instead. And in this episode, it's a perfect example if you watch. She literally says, oh, I don't think we should go to bed feeling uncomfort- uncomfortable. Let's just talk about this, guys. Let's, well, talk about, let's talk about why Sean is an uppity Negro. <laughs> well, it, this,
2: is, this is pot stirring at its finest. You know, and and we get people who try to, you know, their strategy is to be a pot stirrer, you know, to kind of get everything, you know, to be that fly in the ointment in a way. But, you know, the best way to do it is how Visepi is doing it. Sandra does something very, very similar and, and super effective as well. Then you get people like Russell Hance who are stirring the pot very overtly and doesn't work out as well. So, I mean, this is how you do it. This is how you stir the pot and remain on the sidelines.
1: Yeah, Vesepia is, I mean, she is the master at that, and this is really kind of a lesson to anybody who wants to go on Survivor and just stir stuff up. Spend the first couple days getting everyone to trust you. Be the voice of reason. Be the, you know, the negotiator, the person who calms everyone down. And then when you see fights, you've already established that they can trust you and that you are thinking of the best, the good of the group. You could just kind of start this, lead it to discussion. Hey, let's sit around the campfire and just discuss what went wrong today. you know full well where it's going to go in Vesepia. I mean, there's never, been, she's never had an equal in that regard. Nobody does this as well as she does. All right. And then we have the immunity challenge where they have to run around. And this is one of those where the Jeff tells them a story about the Marquesa. And they have to run around and answer questions about it and gather little tiki pieces or something.
0: Yeah, and then uh, not to jump too far ahead here, in case someone wants to say something about the actual challenge. But a great victory cry by Kathy too. It's so <laughs> fun to win this game! Woo!
1: Yeah, once again, I sit at home saying, "Man, I'm glad Kathy's not my mom." <laughs> <laughs> Kathy's crazy. So yeah, so Kathy wins. The one where they drop all the pieces at night, and Kathy finally wins. She, you know, rotates her little torch around and starts doing a little war cry. And then we get to the famous tribal council. The Kathy but... tribal council. Oh, sorry, what am I skipping?
2: <laughs> no, before we get there like, you know, we get the the lead up where, you know, we've got Kathy in the middle and she's so depressed she goes and tries to fly that damn kite. But the yes. only re- reason I'm I'm bringing it up is because you mentioned earlier like Sean didn't know how to stilt and then all of a sudden he stilts like a pro in the challenge. Kathy yeah. flies a kite like a pro in the challenge and then she just wants to fly the kite for fun and she can't get the kite in the air.
1: <laughs> oh, poor Kathy. <laughs> if only she had a Snickers bar to inspire her. That's right. It's
0: already it's already down uh down Zoe's throat, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh gross.
1: No, you if you pronounce it wrong, it's oh
0: Zoe's
1: uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> so making that sound in bed right now.
0: Oh god, stop
1: <laughs> Go Beatles, go Oh yes. All right, so now we are to the immunity challenge or the 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 tribal council which is arguably maybe the most tri- uh, important tribal council in the season because this is a big one. This Kathy literally determines where the season's going to go from here on out. She could make it go one of two ways. And you got this big long tribal council where they're just screaming at each other. Sean and Pascal closely about whether Sean is really in an alliance with V or whether Pascal's being racist or whether or just all sorts of stuff. What do you guys remember about that tribal council? I'm sure Paul remembers it better than I do.
0: Well, it's just a very intense thing, you know. And Sean's kind of being loud about stuff, and uh, and Pascal calls him on and says you're, I think you're being disingenuous. Um, and I mean, it just really is heated there. But you know, kind of, it's kind of like Nalia and. And um, and Vesepia take kind of the backseat for a while here, which is interesting that those two are the ones you know that make it to the end. And it really is you know it kind of starts off with you know talking about Kathy. Has anyone approached you to give up your immunity necklace? And she says no. I'm surprised. And then she's like, I'll take it. And she's like, Okay, well I need to know like like what are you talking about? And then then he uh, he says, Well, you don't vote. You give it to me. I don't vote for you. We go to the top. And then and then Jeff's like, Well, that makes two of you. I mean, How, how could that be? And then he says, Well. Then she could hook up with me and V, and then that's when Pascal kind of calls about that. Okay, there you go. You, without even talking to V, you said that you, V would be with your alliance. I think you're being disingenuous by the fact that you say that you don't have a, uh, you know, a tight alliance with Vesepia there. So then that kind of explodes from there.
2: It's tough because you can see both sides. You know, you can see the fact that like Sean and V, you know, like like I've said several times, I never think that they I never thought that they really sat down on the beach and shook hands and said, You and me, this is a pact, final two. But at the same time, people kind of pigeonholed them into an alliance. And then now we're down to five. Kathy is clearly by herself. This has been established by everybody. And Nalia and Pascal are An alliance, an item, a a a Roger Elizabeth type of of duo, and then he's like, "Well, Sean and Veer an alliance," and and Sean's just like, "Well, not really, but we're kind of pushed into you know having to do this to survive." And Pascal's like, "Oh, you're being disingenuous." It's like
1: there's five of us, (laughs) there's nowhere to run. Yeah, who else am I going to team up with? Yeah, when I watch that scene, as uncomfortable it is, everybody's right for the most part. It's one of those arguments I could see both sides, and there nobody's really lying. It's just they just. I mean, it's a heated situation, and then they're really fighting for their necks. And
2: right, yeah, and it's Kathy's just a tough like, scene Kathy's to watch. Like, what offer do you want? You know, let's let's hash this out right now. <laughs> I mean, they're like talking out loud. It's a really good scene.
1: What I remember about that scene the most is Kathy in the back just looking defeated. Like she just knows this isn't going to end well, no matter who she sides with. And really, from this point out, she's just kind of broken the rest of the season. If you watch her, like this, this whole tribal council just rips her heart out because it's so vicious and so nasty. And so pukey sick, I guess would be the right word.
0: Yeah, you could say pukey sick.
1: All right, yeah. uh, By saying that, Paul, I think you were disingenuous. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. All right. And I I think that was disingenuous too. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it was. Is
0: this a race (laughs) again, Mario?
1: (laughs) You dick. All right. I I think
2: that, in a way, like I said, I think that Kathy was really thinking of. Getting to the final five, you know, getting to be in between these two pairs, you know, and kind of being that swing and then, you know, seeing what can what can lie from there. But I think this tribal council really solidified the bond, not necessarily the alliance, but the bond that Pascal and Aaliyah and Sean and Visepia had uh with each other. And you know, then then you're the fifth and you're like, Yay, wee, I'm in the middle, I can break things open. And then you see that those two are like super tight and you're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. At this point yeah, these two, screwed. you know, you're screwed, you know, and it's like it's all fun and games, and then you get there, and then it's just games.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you can see Kathy's winning move, She obviously went with Pascal and Leah. And she probably thought in her head, well, then I'm going to side with the next vote, and we got to take out one of them. So that was clearly kind of her thought process. She could get one of Sean and V, she could get one of Pascal and Leah, but it was a really risky situation. And yeah, it was, I mean, she. Unfortunately, she had really no one to blame but herself, because she should have stuck with Robert the episode before. But yeah, she was stuck in this situation now, and it was wow. just tough. And then and then she votes out Sean, which just broke my heart.
0: Well, I mean, also, just, just to back up here for a second, also probably from Kathy's perspective, I would think... I mean, I think she's assuming that the final challenges are not going to include picking up a rock and running along the ocean floor. So she's <laughs> yeah. probably going to assume, I'm rather going to face off against... Nalia and Pascal in the final three to win that last challenge rather than Sean and Vesepia, who both have been kind of on somewhat of a winning streak lately. And um and yeah, that's all I have to say.
1: And then we lose Sean.
0: Yeah, and that kills me. You're sad I really to this day I really am not that sad. I mean Sean can be funny, but he really does annoy me. He still does? He's he I mean, I can appreciate him a little bit more with some of the one like, you know, kind of the humor he has to bring to the show, and I can appreciate you know, kind of his 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 intellect and stuff like that. But I mean, for the role that Sean plays, in the game, he really does annoy me.
1: Oh, Paul, you're killing me, breaking my heart, Paul. But
0: I was good. I kept it pretty much under wraps this whole time. I mean, whatever, Sean. I mean, he, he brings a, <laughs> he brings a lot of life to the show, so I can't fault him there. But do I like him that much? No.
1: Yeah. See, the, most people did not like him at the time, and I wasn't a big Sean fan at the time. I thought he was kind of a loud mouth. But in retrospect, when I watched this episode, these episodes, I'm like. This guy could have been a biggest survivor legend as Boston Robb, and to steal a quote from Sean, really, all he never got was nature and opportunity, like he only got the one chance. But he's, I mean, every scene he's in is just interesting, even if you don't like him. He's loud. He's thought-provoking. He'll bring up something interesting, but every so often, he'll pull out this really wise quote that you don't expect from like a little 20, I think he was like 23 or 24 at the time. And then even when he gets voted out, his final words are like, I'm just a humble young man trying to find his place in this world. I'm like. That's some pretty profound final words from someone who's such a loudmouth like Sean. I, I really like the guy. It's one of those guys I never thought has gotten enough credit in Survivor history. And-
0: well, if he we didn't have to, you know, stand up there right next to Zoe, I think we maybe to appreciate him more. <laughs> yes.
1: Paul doesn't see you, any Jay? reason. He
2: well, Paul doesn't see any reason other than personality as to why to like Sean. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> what about you, Jay? Where you, are you? Are you team Mario or are you team Paul on this one?
2: Oh, snap. Well, I'm going to be against you, Mario, on a bunch of things down the road. But on this one, I am with you. I love Sean. I liked him at the time, but I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, I I loved him and was rooting for him. I mean, he was annoying. He was over the top. And, you know, when he left the game, I wasn't sad game wise. I was like, oh, good. Sean's not there, but at the same time, Sean is money, and you know he would say funny <laughs> stuff all the time, and I was kind of glad, I mean, he went home, and I felt like he went home at the right time, because yeah. the next episode was going to be the finale, so I'm like, ooh, he's going to have a good final tribal council, like something, I thought, you know, so like, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to see him all the way up until the end, and then I got to see him, you know, he didn't miss an episode, so we got a lot of Sean, and, that, and that's nice, but I was equally glad that he was out of the game as well, so there's that.
1: All right. Nice wishy-washy answer. <laughs> no. no, I agree with you. It's uh, I love Sean. He's so fun to watch. He's one of those characters I wish had kind of been a bigger deal. But I do agree he probably left the game at about the right place. I don't think he really should have won. He was kind of comic relief more than anything. Right. But I do think he brought a lot to the season, and I'm glad he was in every episode up until the finale. But it would have been odd
2: to see him as a winner. Well, I'll defend my answer. I, th- I don't think it's wishy-washy because I, I, for people to like, basically say, oh my god, I love Sean. Sean is the greatest per- you know, character in Survivor Marquesas. They're clearly rewatching the season because that didn't yeah. happen at the time. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I loved Sean all the way through. I liked him a lot. And, you know, he had a lot of funny quotes and, you know, years afterwards when people talked about Survivor Marquesas, I was like, man, Sean was funny. But, you know, I didn't say, man, I was like Sean or man, I was rooting for Sean. I just was like, wow, Sean was fun on my television. That was really all I could say.
1: All right. No, that's fair enough. Yeah. And it's fine. It's. Uh, <clears throat> I will say one of the things that that uh, Sean was one of those characters that people always said I should have used in my all star story. And I was scared to death of using Sean in my story because I didn't think I could write him. I think he would come off seeming kind of kind of cartoony if I tried to write him without really understanding him. So I'd always people would always ask, "Oh, put Sean in a story." I'm like, "Look, I'm a white kid from Bellevue. I've I've interacted with as many African Americans as Paul has growing up in in, in Montana. Like, I, I, I did not feel comfortable writing Sean because he was he thought kind of about different stuff on a different level than I did, and I was really scared of ever putting him in a story. And anybody who kind of knows my stories knows I actually ended up using him. Finally, in my All-Star Hawaii rewrite, he shows up as a secondary character, and he turned out to be really fun to write. And I know people said, hey, you did a good job with Sean, which was shocked me because I didn't think I could ever write Sean. He's a very complex character to write. Apparently, that's all we have to say about Sean.
0: Yep, that's it.
2: No, I have more to say about Sean, but, you know, I don't really want to talk about your fan fiction.
1: (laughs) You either with me or you against me, Jay Fisher. Oh, dang. (laughs) All right. So we are up to the finale. Very, very famous episode in Survivor history for many reasons. Before we delve into the finale, anything you want to say just as an overall about the finale here?
0: Um, I think this might be the first time the finale was on a Sunday night.
1: Oh, was it? I don't remember that.
0: I think it was because I'm pretty sure the first three seasons were not. And then I remember actually in Thailand, I think it goes back to a Thursday night. And then from Amazon on, they have this um, uh, this the Sunday night um. Yeah, it is. It is for because they. Yeah, it is. It is the first time they do a Sunday night show.
1: Were you just look, looking that up on Wikipedia?
0: No, I just uh, rationalized it in my head, and then. Okay, making so, sure. So I'm, if someone's Wikipedia, <laughs> prove me wrong. But I'm like 99% sure I'm true. So.
1: Okay, make sure Paul's not being disingenuous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> maybe Pascal, if you're listening to the podcast, you can call me out on this. Ask Zoe; she'll help you out. Yeah, on, hey, on the fishing
1: boat. Yeah, she's got us on satellite radio.
2: I've got my Koosh balls ready. I'm ready for Rosie in the finale. Let's go.
1: All right. (laughs) One thing I noticed, I was just watching the finale this morning, actually. What's funny is, you know, Def goes and he recaps the whole whole series to the finale in the the preview. I don't think he even mentions Vucepia, the entire promo. I'm like, there's not, there's not a single attempt to show her storyline, why she won. Like, it's like it's the biggest fuck you I've ever seen from the editors to the winner up to this point in Survivor history. Like, they don't even mention she's in the season.
0: <laughs> well, and it's this is the first time of, of a recap that's quite lengthy for the finale. It used to be kind of, it was a much more simplified. You know, they would say. You know, before the merge, um, three from Ogakor and two from, Co- uh, two from Kucha, you know, were voted out of their tribes, and then the unthinkable happened. You know, it really kind of did a quick summary where it's like, this is the first time, which is, you know, what they do for most of the time now, is kind of a walk-by through of, you know, set, like, each kind of week what happens on the show.
1: Yeah, it's funny, if you watch that promo... And if you, I'm trying to put people in the mindset of what Survivor, what kind of the audience was thinking back at the time. But like, you watch this promo, and it's pretty obvious from that promo that probably Nalia or Kathy is going to win because they get all the airtime kind of in the promo. And that was kind of what was going on at the time. So the fan favorite was Kathy. I will love Kathy. And all these speculation and stuff, the backwards flag that Nalia was going to win. And so the, the Sepia win kind of came out of nowhere. And it certainly didn't help that the actors didn't even mention her in the, pre- the recap. <laughs>
0: And then we get, well, then we also get, you know, some, uh, throughout this finale, we get uh, winners from uh, previous seasons giving their predictions, you know, uh, I'm so bummed they took it out on the the DVD. Oh, um, yeah. But it used to be, you know, during the finale, between each commercial break, it would kind of cut to Rosie O'Donnell with Tina and with Ethan and with Sue Hawk and with Richard Hatch and stuff. And they would kind of give their little, you know, commentary on what was going to happen. It was awkward
1: because Richard was naked and he was grinding up against Rosie O'Donnell. Remember that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think he did say, he's like, it's, it's time for me to take off my clothes, right? And I was like, no, go to the show.
1: Yeah, that's a nice foreshadowing for all stars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> little, little did they know.
1: <laughs> BS, Paul is right. I forgot about that, that... You know, they would. They would, at the beginning of Marquesas, the finale on TV. They showed Rosie O'Donnell in, in Central Park saying, "And stay tuned for the finale. We'll be offering live commentary throughout the evening." And unfortunately, it's all cut out of the DVD. They didn't include it. In this. But yeah, during the commercial breaks, they'd bring on Survivors to talk about what they thought was going to happen. Nobody thought Visepio was going to win. All right, we get into the finale, and the first thing I wrote in my notes here is, "Man, Kathy looks shell shocked." And I just remember this every time when I watch the season. She just looks defeated. Like this game has drained all the blood and all the energy out of her body and she's just she looks like she's aged about 50 years. She just is from this from the start of this episode on she's just done. Like she's mentally checked out of this game. It's killing her.
2: It's well I think that it's all taking its toll and I think that she kind of realizes that she's in a real tough spot and then you know they they are showing that you know they have no energy to move or do anything and so I think the the physical strain and the mental strain really kind of comes into play here at the end
1: yeah although there's one speech in there where Kathy's giving a uh, confessional and just little quirks about Kathy I always remember where she hits certain words or notes that nobody else in the English language would hit and Kathy she's talking about she's like last night was a very difficult situation just a very typical Kathy quote
0: yes can we I just want to comment now you know just just listen to Kathy's vocabulary. She uses some like the. I mean, I remember actually it was really good watching Kathy as a sixth grader because I remember she would use words that I had, you know, in my like challenging like you know words to try to use. Like I had the word aloof, and uh, I think she uses that about twenty times in episode seven. But I was aloof to Zoe. I was aloof to the to General. I was aloof to everyone. It was almost like you know she was the example sentence for uh for that week. But yeah, she has a very extensive vocabulary and a very unique way of uh, of speak of speech.
2: Kathy also is why I start every uh, sentence with the phrase, you
1: guys.
0: <laughs> you guys.
1: And in Paul's seventh grade vocabulary, he had smooch and the marquesa.
0: <laughs> and the marquesa, yeah.
1: Yeah, the pattern Spell, continued. Spell aloof or use aloof in a sentence. Holy mother, McGrady. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get the the little intro, Kathy's defeated, Vesepia knows she has to win immunity, and then, as I wrote in my notes, this is where Vesepia Onage starts right now, where Vesepia mentions, oh yeah, I brought this journal, and I've been writing down details about everybody all season.
2: That's so brilliant. I mean, and I didn't, it totally just washed over my head the first time I saw I saw this, and then I was watching it on a rewatch. And mm-hmm. I was watching
1: with my wife, and she was like, holy shit, that's gangster. She wrote everything down in the book. Yeah, and it's even funnier that she won't help other people. They're all like, where's Patricia from? And V's like, oh, I don't know. It starts with an L, and V and tells it, us. It, yeah, cut to the confessional. I know exactly
0: yeah. where Miss Patricia's from.
1: Yeah, I know exactly where they are. Fuck all of y'all. <laughs> she doesn't actually say that, by the way. But, uh, but yeah, that's this is really where Visep just kind of takes over and becomes a badass. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't remember that or have never given her credit. But she, she kicks a major ass in this finale, starting with the journal. Pulls out the journal trick out of nowhere. They go to Fallen Comrades. She wins Fallen Comrades because she's the only one that wrote down that John was in the Air Force. I think that was the winning question.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that Vesepia and the Survivor Africa broke Fallen Comrades. I mean, that, you know, we had the controversy in Africa. And, you know, Vesepia is just like, yeah, you bring a writing utensil as your luxury item and you write all the shit down. It's like, well, well, there there goes that. It was fun while we had it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's funny, people always ask me, they like, well, Mario, you said that they, because of the, the controversy in Africa that they never did Fallen Comrades again, how come it was in Marquesas? I'm like, well, because they didn't realize they screwed up in Africa until Marquesas was already taped. Like, I yeah. think it was the night of the Africa finale. So they'd already taped Africa and Marquesas before they realized, oh, we can't do Fallen Comrades in again. But yeah, but yeah you're right, Vesepia kind of broke it because she, she beat the system.
2: It's done, and then we have a vote. And it was a pretty inconsequential vote this time, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, nothing happens. Nothing. Not, not, pretty not. cut and dry. Let's move on. <laughs> you no, know, what
1: I have in my notes here is I said wrote, V wins immunity. Kathy is in danger now. Shit just got real. <laughs>
0: This is intense, and and I, I love in this whole thing that Kathy tries to kind of like like I don't know what she wants from Jeff Probst, but she's like, I, no, I need time to talk to V. These are conversations that are held on the beach, and Jeff Probst yeah, kind of sharp with bitch. her, and he's like, no, you're in a public forum, you know, you're gonna discuss here. What did she want? I'm like, okay, we're gonna take a timeout. You and Vaseti go head down to the beach. There, you got twenty five minutes. I mean, like, what did she want from that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, Jeff, these are conversations on the beach. And Jeff's like, Are we at a beach now, bitch? I don't think
0: so. <laughs> I just Look that. behind you. We're on the fucking beach.
2: <laughs> hey, 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 V, want to go go on a
1: water run now? <laughs> <laughs> Seppi's like, uh, I've Sea I, I, urchin, got my hand. Kathy, come and pee on it. Let's go. All right. So then we got, uh, yeah, so they discuss and they have to discuss who they're going to vote out. And, and Kathy's like, well, I think Pascal wants to go home. And Pascal's like, like hell, Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. And here we go. I know people have been waiting for us for to say this for months, and we're finally going to say the two words in the English language that might be the most polarizing two words ever, which are purple rock.
0: Yeah, this purple rock thing, it's just, I mean, it's it such a short moment in Survivor history it happens once, you know, this one tribal council, and people still talk about today about, you know, let's not make it go to purple rock.
1: Alright, so I guess this begs the question. Do you guys like the Purple Rock? And I I'm gonna answer third. I don't want you guys taking my answer. <laughs> oh gee. Well, oh well okay. Here we go. Now 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 shit just got real. No, I'm curious, what do you guys think of the Purple Rock?
2: You wanna go first, Paul, or me?
0: Yeah, I could jump into I actually love the Purple Rock idea. Um I think it's it's great because it brings back, you know, instead of having some arbitrary thing like you know fire building or survivor you know trivia it kind of really brings it back to the contestants it's okay fine if you want to go f- for a rock then then you um, you know then uh, then risk it you know it's, it's going to come down to that I do think it is a bit iffy when that final four you know they've, they've since switched it to if it's at the final four then we have this fire making challenge which I kind of go back and forth on that whether or not I think that's good for the final four but as far as for a general rule about how ties should be broken I think it's brilliant because it really deters people from going to a tie and it really kind of adds that extra element or actually it brings it back to the original element of it's on the people you're not bringing some you know this, this other challenge and something else because you know, when people give it off, it comes down to the people, the people's votes, the people's decisions. It shouldn't be an external factor such as a fire-making challenge. So that's my opinion on it.
2: I feel that I, I, I ultimately like the idea of past votes. I think the past votes is, I think, the cleanest and the purest way to deal with. Um, somebody leaving the game when there is a tie however because you can manipulate pass votes in weird ways i think that that gets to be sort of a problem and so i think that barring all of that i actually really really like the purple rock and the reason why i like it is because it is complete random chance and I know. Survivor's not random chance. But the point of Survivor is to vote people out and then get people to vote you a million dollars. And if you are forcing a tie, sometimes you have to force a tie because that's the best you can do. But sometimes you gotta get that other vote to maybe get yourself in the majority. Or you have to then convince people to force a tie so that they all can you know, pick a rock and whoever goes home via random chance is the one to go home. So I feel like that's a penalty for, for forcing a tie. And I feel like tie votes should be penalized in some way. And in this case, It's okay, whoever goes home now is left to random chance. And it really sucks that, you know, you kind of are going through this game and you have to build alliances and kind of get voting majorities. And if you can't do so, then, you know, fate brings you home. And I think that that's an appropriate response to uh, kind of forcing the non objective of the game, if that makes sense.
1: It's funny, um, so many of our readers wrote in. And the question that we got most often about Marquesas is, make sure to talk about the Purple Rock and how fucked up it was and how it ruined Survivor and how it was horrible. And I'm like, man, you guys are going to be disappointed because I think all three of us are probably going to end up liking the Purple Rock. And so I I will put that out there before we get to the reader questions that I think a lot of people are going to be quite shocked that I think Jay, Paul, and myself are all, uh, if I'm hearing your answers correctly, we all kind of like the idea of the Purple Rock, at least the way it played out. Well, I like the idea of the Purple Rock because how many
2: ties, how many tie votes did we have in Australia and Africa? Yeah, absolutely. And how many tie votes did we have after that?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It really deterred them. And, And this kind of goes into what I was thinking. Now, what I have to say about the Purple Rock is at the time... I mean, this is so hard to really kind of express to people unless they were there. I hate to always use that cliche. If you weren't there, you wouldn't really get it. But this was the most shocking thing anybody had ever seen on Survivor. I mean, this was oh God. this was more shocking than Mike Falls in the Fire. Because, like, oh my God. Purple Rock, a guy who didn't even get a vote against him out of the game. And it wasn't even that people were for or against it. It was just shocking. I mean, this was a huge episode. And it was the Purple Rock that did it. <clears throat> and now my personal opinion is that Survivor is a very selfish game, and this is something I go back to the first season when I watched Survivor. It comes down to a question of how selfish are you? At what point will you put your own individual needs over the needs of everyone else? Will you say, I want to win this game and fuck everyone else? And to me, that is really the key to Survivor. At what point will you say, I have to win and I don't care about anybody else's success? And to me, the Purple Rock is brilliant because that's exactly what it does. You can't have this Pascal and Leah thing going where they're like, oh, you know, we're never gonna vote against each other, and we'll get to the end, because we just we love each other too much. I'm like, fuck that. If you're gonna win Survivor, you cannot say that no one is unvotable. And that's that's why I have always loved the Purple Rock, because it forces people to be selfish. Jeff Probst even says, Look, if you guys don't you know vote, figure out a vote, you're gonna go to Purple Rock and it's random chance. And this is something I think a lot of people have forgotten that Probst warned them. It wasn't like they stumbled into a purple rock and didn't know Pascal could go. He warned them, look, break this tie or we're going to chance, and that's a shitty way to lose this game. And they're all like, well, you're right, but we're going to do it anyway. And I'm like, if Pascal and Nalia really deserve to win, they should have turned on each other right there. How selfish are you? They weren't selfish enough. And if Pascal took the rock, it's his own damn fault. And I've always been felt very strongly about that, that it's my favorite tiebreaker in all my... My all-star stories, I always use some variant of the Purple Rock because it's such a badass way to make people be selfish.
0: Yeah, no, it's great.
2: And And I love it, but I think that something that really makes the Purple Rock work was that it was Pascal that went home.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's He could turn on Elia. It was right there. He had a chance. He took a bullet for her. And people say, well, he never got a vote. Well, he had a chance to switch his vote. Probe's even told him. And this always drives me crazy. When I hear people saying the Purple Rock was unfair or Pascal leaving was unfair, I'm like, Pascal had every chance to switch his vote and be selfish and save himself. And he didn't. And hey, that's what happened. And it was his own fault. Because Pascal
2: went home, that brought the fear of everyone else in, because people liked Pascal, he didn't have a vote against him, and so all that stuff comes into play. And because it was him that went home, I think that really solidified the Purple Rock in the future, and it really uh, messed with people's heads, and it continues to mess with people's heads, and that's what makes Purple Rock great, because it it forces people to really kind of reevaluate that thing. I think there are times when maybe they should go to a purple rock and we can always talk about that sort of strategy here, there. I think the survivors, you know, evolved to the point where, you know, we need to start thinking about that possibility. But the fact that the purple rock still deters people and still makes people, uh, question things to this day means that it is a very good tiebreaker.
1: What's funny is that in recent years, I, um, you know, you've had these interviews with Jim Probst where he says, well, we screwed up in Marquesas. Like when, uh, when you go to Purple Rock, the people that had votes against them should be immune or something like that. He's like, yeah, we actually did it wrong in Marquesas. So a lot of people will use that argument. We'll see they didn't even do it right in Marquesas, so it was unfair. Like my argument against that is I don't care if they screwed up. I love the way it worked in Marquesas. And I think that's the way it should work, even if that's the wrong way. I think whoever's immune should be safe. Everyone else better break this fucking tie or you're up or you're going to be, you know, eligible to get a vote. And they all know this. So I love that. It's so primal and just so vicious. And that's the thing. You have a chance. It's just a a morality test. How selfish are you going to be? And if you aren't selfish, then you don't deserve to win. And that's always been my stance.
2: Well, it's funny because yeah, they kind of fucked it up in a, in a lot of those standards. But at the same time, the person then who logically should have gone home actually did go home. So it's really <laughs> really yeah. weird because because the the premise of the purple rock is the person who has the immunity uh, necklace can't can't be voted for, so they're out. So Visepi is safe. And then the, how a purple rock works is whoever are the two people that are that are tied with the votes, they're suddenly safe. So then it's everybody else that's voting minus the person with the immunity necklace, who then has to draw a rock. And in this case, with four, it was Kathy and Nalia who had the votes, and Vesepia had immunity. So really, the person who was left was Pascal. All
1: right, so when Jeff Probe says that they screwed up, he's actually being disingenuous. That's true. There you go. (laughs) That's great. Although, uh, this uh, brings to mind one other question. People have asked me this over the years. If Vesepia wasn't immune, if all four of them were were invulnerable do you think Vesepia would have grabbed a rock to save Kathy and no. my answer to that is fuck no you no kidding? way Vesepia uh-uh. was oh. such a little mercenary she would have sold out Kathy in two seconds so Vesepia, just another yeah. what if oh yeah absolutely yeah, just another little what if like do you think uh, Vesepia would have screwed Kathy I'm like well she did later in the episode so I'm guessing <laughs> yes
0: I'm gonna say yes on that one <laughs> yeah
1: Kathy was right. toast.
2: She was toast at this point, because you know she was on the outside from the beginning of the game. We've documented that. And then everyone sees what a threat she is at the, at the game. So, I mean, if she's there without immunity at that final four,
1: she's done. Yep, so that's it. We lose Pascal and still, I think, one of the all-time great moments in Survivor. And I know we're going to have many listeners that disagree with me saying that's one of the all-time worst moments in Survivor. But I love The Rock. I love everything about the scene i love how it got people talking i love remember pascal just falling down in shock i mean that that was the reaction of people in the audience it just it's just one of those you know uh franchise changing moments everyone remembers the purple rock and it to this day i don't understand when when people say oh marquesas was boring nothing happens i'm like it had the fucking purple rock and it had the fall of the row to four what else do you want
0: yeah no that's one thing i think for people who have problems with marquesas i think I think the places that you can kind of hit, um, you know, hit Marquesas uh, as far as not being a great season for you is if you don't connect with the characters, and that that's the one problem that I have that comes up with it. I don't love Sean the way that they love Sean. I never really loved Visepia, so that's why, in a lot of ways, it doesn't ha- it isn't the top top of my list like it is for Mario, But you can't fault. The gameplay within it, the unpredictability within it, you know, things like, you know, I mean, then on top of that, things we've already talked about, such as the location, the rewards and such like that, but um, but yeah, I mean, it has plenty of unpredictable moments in it.
2: The stilt walking, the kite so- flying, the <laughs> popcorn making. Come on, Zoe. people!
1: It was Zoe! What more do you want? Zoe
0: and posed Zoe, for Alright,
1: yeah. so we lose Pascal, we're down to the final three, and then we have the uh, torch walk, where they go and they reminisce about everybody, and I was kind of taking notes when I was watching it the other day, and I wrote, The only thing that's memorable about the Torch Walk is how Boston Rob's clip they use just shows a picture of him and then a close up of Sarah's boobs right next to him. So you see a nice close up down shirt shot <laughs> of Sarah's chest. I'm like, Yes, that will be Boston Rob's legacy and survivor. He's the one that banged Sarah. Okay, let's not say banged, but he was only hooked up with Sarah. That was that was very classy of you hooked up. It was good. It was classy. Exactly. Keep yeah, this I, podcast classy. Good. Thank you. Exactly. And then we get to. Uh, the final three immunity challenge. This is one where where, uh, who is it? Kathy and V are kind of like being all cocky. He said, Oh, which Jerry votes are you going to get? Which ones are you going to get? And is like, look, you guys haven't won yet. Knock it off. And, and it's funny. Cause that, that, that whole little scene of Kathy and V bonding is hilarious to me because 10 seconds later, V stabs <laughs> Kathy in the back, which is possibly the harshest thing I've ever seen in survivor history. It's yeah. fantastic. Oh, i love it. <clears throat> all right. Yeah. So we get to the challenge. Let's see. I'm to right out here. Uh, hands on the idol yeah the hands on the idol i'm just looking through my notes so yeah hands on the idol and nalia v and kathy and of course last night v and kathy made this final two pact which i guess that's what kathy thought that's what 99.99 percent of the audience thought and then you know kathy accidentally falls in the challenge when she you know her shirt becomes undone or something nalia helpfully points it out kathy falls not even 30 seconds later, V's like, hey, Nelia, want to go to the final two? Nelia's like, yeah, all right, that's it. He's <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened? Oh, you just got V'd. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. That's just, I mean, between that and the Purple Rock... I can think of no finale that I think I loved as much as this one except maybe the Vanuatu finale. Just, man, the Purple Rock was just groundbreaking, jaw-dropping TV. And then Vesepia just nailing Kathy. And and I got I'll oh, count perhaps that's a bad choice of words, but Vesepia just backstabbing. <laughs> Wait, I missed
0: that part. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, Vesepia backstabbing Kathy, who I got to point out, again, was arguably the most famous or popular female player in survivor history other than maybe colleen at the time and she could have even topped colleen for all i know i mean people really uh, like jesus kathy.
2: colleen talk again
1: yeah but people really loved kathy and like to see the fan favorite get shanked like that like in the span of <sighs> 30 seconds by Visepia, who people hated already man that was a great tv moment that's <laughs> such
2: a railroad it was fantastic
1: i mean kathy's like what the hell just happened and like you could just hear it like when Alderaan blew up in Star Wars. You could just hear thousands or millions of people crying on protest. So, Paul, you had to at least love that scene.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. It's awesome. I mean, like, you feel bad for Kathy, but, I mean, that you do have to hand it to V, just the fact that. And then she just kind of explains it later on, like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about going with Kathy, and then I thought, you know what? Malia's pissing people off, too. I'll just go with her now. I mean, she just is like, you know, she has such a clear head on her shoulders that she doesn't let anything else interfere.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It's like... I always remember that scene. and I remember just how broken Kathy is. and it was just heartless. That was I mean, that's there's no other way to describe that scene, but heartless. It was just heartless, awesome TV. And it's funny you hear all these people, all these people that love the final three in Survivor. They don't like Survivor used to be Final Two, which I there are not enough curse words for me to say right now in, in my rebuttal to that. But when people say that they met, they hated the final two, their argument is always, well, the the good players, the fan favorites like Kathy and Rob C didn't win. And I'm like, but it's so much better TV when they don't win. Everyone remembers that moment, that Vesepia killing Kathy moment. And yeah, she was a fan favorite, but that's what makes Mar- Marquesa so great because it was just evil and primal at the end. And the Vesepia backstab is the absolute apex of the whole season because that was... At the time and maybe to this day, I think was the most heartless thing I've ever seen on Survivor.
0: It's one that I feel like it's not talked about that much. I mean, like we're talking about it now, but I, I don't know the last time I've seen that conversation come up. Yeah, it's
1: it's chilling or just ridiculous how how forgotten this whole scene has become. And it's funny when I I know Jay hates my fan fiction, but when I wrote my first Hawaii story in two thousand two, I wrote it right after Marquesas. And that was the focal point of my entire story. That was the main st- storyline in my Hawaii story was Kathy wants revenge against Visepi because that's what the world was talking about at the time it's just kind of a time capsule thing that was a really big deal in Survivor history that Kathy just got screwed and and like she would get a second chance at revenge if she ever came back into all-star so that was kind of what was going on in the Survivor world
2: to be fair I never said I hated your fan fiction I just don't care about your fan fiction yeah you just hate me well <laughs> that goes without saying <laughs> yes
1: uh, anyway yes yeah. Yeah. So, again, it's. I mean, I don't. I mean, we could talk about this for thirty minutes. This vesepia Kathy moment, which I think is. I mean, again, one of the top ten things that's ever happened in Survivor.
2: When are we, we going to get into final three, final two? Are we going to do it now? Can we? Are we going to save it? What, what's going on? Yeah, let's do that now. No, just kidding.
1: We're not going to talk about that ever. <laughs> no. Okay. Talk that's about fine. That? We can. Yeah, we can. But it, it it doesn't naturally fit here. Okay. Let's keep going then. Yeah, in fact, Final Three doesn't actually fit anywhere unless you're retarded. Oh, snap! Oh, snap, that's right, I just went there. See what I did there? All right, so anyway, <clears throat> yeah, so Kathy is broken, she's heartbroken, Vesepia just pulled the the old uh, WWF, she came out of nowhere with a metal folding chair and took out her tag team partner, the, the heel turn, it was one of the great moments, and then we go to Tribal Council, and Vesepia gives us this great confessional where... <laughs> I love I love the gall of Vesepia where she says, well, you know, I felt bad when I did it, but I know I'm a Christian, so God will just forgive me afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Vesepia logic. And again, if you're wondering why Vesepia was not liked among the audience, it's comments like that.
0: She's like, uh, you know, like, um, she's like, you know, knowing that I'm a Christian, we can go, you know, go to that person I did wrong to. <laughs> after it's over, and ask that person for forgiveness. <laughs>
1: yeah. After the game's over and I am won, I'll get forgiveness. That's
0: cool.
1: But <laughs> so, yeah, we get to the tribal council, and Kathy gets voted off. And... well, the, the, the only
2: other thing I can say about this tribal council is we have that weird thing where, like, Pascal's not there. Oh yeah, he passed
1: out.
0: He passed out, and then it turns to kind of a talk about religion and Kathy. So these two both love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? <laughs> yes. But that—that's kind of a unique moment
1: because John, the juror, actually has to talk. It's one of those. Yes. Is that the only time a juror has ever spoken in Survivor? I mean, prior to the final tribal council, I'm curious.
0: That's the only thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah,
1: that's John asked to literally. Yeah, he has to tell us what happened to Pascal and that he was still within normal limits, and then Pascal tried to pee on him, so it was all back to normal.
0: I mean, we do have Jonathan Penner saying thank you for my hat, but I think that's about as close as <laughs> <that> I get.
1: <laughs> that was good. <laughs> But I, I pointed out in my, I'm writing in my note, my notes here when I was watching the episode. I'm like, Vesepia found the one loophole where she could vote Kathy out of the game, and Vesepia wouldn't be the bad guy. Because, hey, Nalia won immunity. Nalia voted her out. It wasn't my fault. So it's like, it's just <laughs> the Vesepia loophole. Because like, if you think about it, Vesepia didn't want to face Kathy in the finals anyway. No one would have. She would have wiped up any vote. So. I mean, again, it's called Vesepia Heartless, So that was a brilliant move. She kind of did it in a loophole fashion where Nalia had to do it. Look, Nalia cast the vote, not
0: me. Sorry, Kathy. I'll ask for forgiveness Pfft, after it's over.
1: <laughs> yes. So anyway, Kathy's gone, and, and there's a great scene where, where Kathy gets voted out, and she walks away, and they cut to Vesepia, and she just gives this little smirk. Like, it's not even mean. It's not even happy. It's like, yep, I just won. And I, I love that little, it's like, the honey badger don't care look. I think that's the look you call it right there.
2: Yes, Vesepia is a honey badger. She's yes. a honey badger. Yes.
1: <clears throat> so anyway, uh, and then Kathy just—I mean, she she goes through to her final words, and she just looks fearful, almost like she's she's had all the humanity sucked out of her. She's aged like 50 years now, and she's just done. And like, I've never seen a person broken by survivor more than Kathy was in Marquesas. She's just so checked out by then. All right, and I guess that leads us right up to the final tribal council. Where America crowned its most beloved winner. <laughs>
0: oh man! Yes. First of all, so on, on their walk to final tribal council, we also do get we we get some more Zoe action in this episode finally, and uh, I I do love Zoe's little interview here. You know they used to do this before tribal council, which I I miss getting to hear a little bit from the jurors and know you know what they're thinking going to the tribal council, and you know Zoe's comment is uh, look who's in the finals. Girls, and she kind of gives this little, like, like, kind of creepy smile. She's like, Girls rock, yeah. Main. Main. Okay, I added that part in, but.
1: Jay, you're accusing me of writing down every Gabriel scene. Look at what Paul's doing now. He's getting one tenth the flack that I did.
0: I didn't have to write it down, though, Mario. It's in my mind.
1: Oh, good. Well, now it's in all of our minds now, Paul. Thank you.
0: He's just paying
2: you back for the whole Snickers bar imagery.
1: (laughs) That was great. Alright, so we get to final tribal council, Nalia against Vesepia. All the jurors hate both of them, which is great because I love angry tribal councils. And Tanny, of course, goes up first and she gets her awesome Suhawk speech, which I didn't write down, but paraphrase it was something like, You both suck, fuck both of you. I think that was what she said. That sounds about right.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And then uh, Pascal comes up and says he is going to be a better person now because he via Nalia in this game. So starting now he's gonna become a better person, which it's hilarious if you know that he got arrested for, like, banging his clerk a couple years later. <laughs> Do
0: you guys know about that? Yeah, I wanted to give the recap on that, Mario. <laughs> I don't remember all
1: the sordid of details. I know Pascal got disbarred or something in Georgia because he got caught having an affair with his clerk or law clerk or somebody. I don't know. He was. I think there was a story that he was routinely sexually harassing his younger employees and stuff, so he's he's no longer a judge, I believe. So, So that becoming a better person thing didn't really work out.
0: Just depressing. Just yeah. Just forget about that part. I'll ruin Pascal for you. Well, the good news is he didn't pass out, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> he was within
2: normal levels, you know? He was within, yes. his, his adultering in Flandering was in normal levels.
1: <laughs> and it was not disingenuous. It was quite genuous. Yes, it was quite genuous.
0: <laughs> well, and then we get to see uh, the general sweet outfit. Jade, do you want to comment on this?
2: <laughs> oh my god! Watch the finale and watch the general. I, I can't even describe the just the hideousness and the beauteous that is the general's outfit. He, he he's wearing like high waisted pleated black pants, which is the whole row two four black thing, with like a very prominent belt buckle, and then he's got this shirt. It's it's like it's a bloused shirt. It's like one <laughs> of those pirate shirts, but it's like <laughs> denim. <laughs> I can't even and it's kinda open. I mean, it's like he's swashbuckley Mc you know, Levi Straussington, you know, ready to sail the high seas for appropriate, you know, jeans wear or something. I don't know what's going on, but it's like the most fantastic fashion statement anyone could ever do ever.
1: Jerry, you can be the first pirate. Oh, you guys you're Seinfeld. Come on. No, nope. Yeah, the the puffy shirt episode. Kramer says, "Jerry, you can be the first pirate." And Jerry's like, "But I don't want to be a pirate." So that's perfect for the for the animal's outfit, the puffy shirt. Oh
2: my god, it's a fantastically bad outfit, and he just is like he's like, oh, "I don't like. I can't even know. I don't even know what you're saying because." Your How's that go again? I,
1: my shirt, yar, me mateys. and we're gonna have a bitch closed captioning that for our hearing impaired listeners.
2: Do you ever do you know where Five O One Island is?
1: All right, and then we have Zoe, the juror, who Paul would appreciate because her first word is, "You guys know I'm a work hard. I have a work hard, play hard attitude." I'm like, "Yes, Zoe, we get it. We know you're Shut up."
0: And then there's just kind a bunch of awkward pauses. That, but she's not going to talk about the lion, the backstabbing, because I was there. We all were there. <laughs> Thank you, Maine, <laughs> Maine. <laughs>
2: Zoe has, I mean, that's the thing about Zoe. I, I, I think that we dissected it correct a while ago, which is the the parts of her don't fit quite right because she gets up there, and I mean, it's Zoe. She's just kind of bullish and, you know, going forward, and she gets up there and says, you know me, guys, work hard, play hard. And, I mean, we've been making fun of that <laughs> phrase for the last three podcasts, but she says it. your head turns. Your head just will kind of cock to one side. You'll be like, uh, uh-huh? Like doesn't
1: make any sense like she's all all season long she's been trying to get this catchphrase on the air because she wants her to have like t-shirts and stuff like she wants to be the survivor t-shirt person the work hard play hard zoe and you know she's been saying this every single day of the season just to get it on tv and it only makes into like three different episodes in the finale she says it again as if we're supposed to know it well you guys know me i'm work hard play hard it's like no one gives a fuck
2: we don't actually
1: in fact, this is very similar to the whole Mother Africa thing, so no wonder Paul loves both of them so much.
0: Yep, yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. And then we have uh Kathy's jury speech where she comes up there and she's essentially been tranquilized with some sort of horse tranquilizer. If you watch, she's like totally out of it. Like her eyes are drooping. She can't finish a sentence. She's like it's like I don't even know what kind of demon she went through after this game. She was so broken by everything.
0: Well, yeah, could it she's, be? Well, cause don't, oh, don't you remember her build-up to the to, to travel? She's like, I turned on the light in my room, and she's like, I looked around, and there were vines in the room, and then I turned on the light, and they were gone. And the and I'm like, okay, Kathy, you're losing it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, could it be because this was actually the second tri- final tribal council they did? What? Aru? Aru? Oh! Um, John was, was actually me. saying John was saying this on a, on a, on an interview he was giving recently was that they did it they did the final tribal council and then Jeff Probst yelled at him and said that it was lackluster and they had to do it again. No, I have never heard that before. I had wow. just wow. heard that for the first time in a long time. You're they just said that, na-
1: you're just now bringing this up, Jay. Yeah, come on, Jay. That's disingenuous.
2: What can I say? You guys know me. I'm not going to go right. back to the previous <laughs> podcast. You know, with the lion. <sighs> Backstabbing <laughs> because
0: you were there, we all we were, were all there. <laughs> <laughs> Main, no, I want to hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, please tell the, us more. But well, that's not
2: more. I, I was just hearing uh, John saying that he was saying that you know they did the tri final tribal council, and you know, I you know, both Nalia, Nalia was trying to be uh, very diplomatic with all her answers, and Vesepia was kind of playing it close to the chest, and you know. There weren't a lot of fireworks going off, and this was actually even on this on this one. It's it's a pretty tame tribal council all the way through, and apparently, t- according to John, they did the whole tribal council, and then they got done, and then Jeff basically came out and said that was terrible. This was terrible. We're going to do this again, and I want to see some life in you guys.
1: Wow. Did they do the vote? Did they do the vote too? Did Nalia win the first time?
2: I don't think that's what. Jeff is <laughs> yeah. saying I, I, I don't think it was, yeah. I think it was before the votes but yes like I think that's that, cool that Jeff is I've like,
1: never oh. heard, yeah, I've never heard that I mean I've heard of probes doing that before I've heard lots of incidents where something happened on the show and probes didn't like it so he made them retape it or he turned off the cameras but I've never heard this specific story before which is cool and people are going to I mean people are going to be all shocked what and I'm like Fire does stuff like that all the time it didn't change anything he just wanted it to be more fiery but yeah it's, that's cool to know I never heard that before
2: no, and 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 I'm not saying I'm one hundred percent right on this, but I do recall John saying this in an interview. And yes, it shouldn't surprise people. They probably redo stuff in tribal council, you know, we don't know that tribal councils last three and a half million hours because he's asking everyone questions a million times over and over again, and we get like a nine minute segment. And tribal council's probably five hours long. And none of this should surprise anyone. And I'm not saying it influenced one way or another, but I do recall John saying that they had to re ask some of their questions again because uh, wow. of bluster responses.
1: If I'm wrong, I'm wrong,
2: but that's what I've heard.
1: And it just makes you wonder what Zoe's first question must have been. <laughs> she probably
2: just walked she's up like, there and, ripped like, off her
0: and said, What do you think? She's like, Thank you for the friendship. I made both of you a piece of jewelry. Here you go, Vesepia, Nalia. Thank you. Um, work hard, play hard, Zoe. It's time for her to go sit down. Man! <laughs> exactly. Put you to sleep. Oh, oh oh, oh. Sorry, oh, oh. Sorry there. See why they had to retake oh, wow. that?
1: <laughs> yeah. that's horrible. I'm glad you worked in the, the work hard, play hard part, because I would have called disingenuous on you if you hadn't used that. All right. So here we go. This is, oh, let me get to John's jury question. And this is something I actually wanted to talk about. I put a little star by it in my notes where John says, tell me right now, why should I give you my vote? Why the hell should I give you my vote? And it's funny because Nalia's like, wow, that sucks. And I'm like, how can you not answer that question? Like, if you have any business winning survivor at all, you should have a reason why someone should vote for you. And I, I write down, I wrote down in my notes here. If you can't answer that question, you don't deserve to win. And I'm like, Nalia should not have won. If someone says... Why should I vote for you to win? And you can't give him an answer. That should disqualify you from even being in a discussion that you should have won a final vote. And I even wrote that this is the easiest question a juror can ask you. And anybody should be able to answer that off the top of your head. And it baffles me. I've seen over the years people say, well, John just wanted Nalia to kiss his ass. I'm like, no, John asked the best question anybody could ever ask a final two. And it, it amazes me that Nalia couldn't answer that.
2: To me, it's the best question. And I, I'm I'm glad you brought it up. John's final tribal counsel question is is a winner. And I think that it's great because a lot of people like try to oh, they're say it in their opening and closing statements. No, they're they're making a broad statement to everybody. But John's question is, why should I vote for you? You know what I mean? This this then is not talking about the other six jury members. This is just talking about why should I give you my vote? And I think that's a really legitimate question to ask and, and yeah. get a response from.
1: Yeah, it should be in every season. I mean, that question should come up, be the first question for the first juror in every season. Why should I vote for you to win? And It's a very easy question. And it, it, it's always baffled me to this day that, like I said, John gets has gotten a lot of shit over the years on message boards from people saying, oh, John just wanted Nalia to kiss his ass and she didn't, so he didn't vote for him. I'm like, no, he asked a legitimate question and she couldn't answer it. She's like, well, oh, I'm just lucky. I was just lucky. I guess that's why I'm here. I'm like, well, that's why I'm not gonna vote for you. Sorry. And then is that it? All that all the interesting jury questions. I know we did Zoe's about six times. <laughs> no, it, it was all
2: pretty tame. It's a very tame, orderly tribal council. Other than the general shirt, and we're and just going with
1: it. <laughs> well, Tammy well, like, too.
2: Well, Tammy, but you know, Tammy was just it, it. It was just more of like a subtle evisceration than anything else. It was just <laughs> yeah. kind of like. I'm just going to level-headedly and very pointedly just rip your guts out, but other than that...
1: That's that's probably just how she talks in general. That's probably like what her Christmas letter looks like. Exactly. (laughs) All right, then we get to the vote, and in a vote that certainly surprised me and surprised just about everyone on the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. the sepia comes out of nowhere to beat Nalia, who all these backwards flags, spoilers, had been saying was going to win all season, and and I always loved, in the voting comments, you only see a couple of them, but you see Sean, where he he quotes Dr. Evil. Do you guys remember that?
0: Mm-hmm. $1 million dollars. <laughs> yeah, so he cracks himself up, which always makes me laugh. Uh,
1: I do enjoy it when people laugh at their own jokes. And then, uh, yeah, we get to the Sepia winning over Nalia, and this is one of those issues that's been disputed a lot over the years. Well, shouldn't Nalia have won? And my opinion on that has always been, hell no. I'm like... Not only did she do so much crap down the second half of the season where people just didn't respect her, but this is always one of the things I always write about when I write about juries, that the key to a survivor jury, to understanding how it happened, is that nobody on Survivor is going to vote for someone unless they can go to sleep at night being comfortable with the fact that they lost to that person. And that's really what I thought happened in Marquesas. No one wanted to go to bed thinking that this 21-year-old little Mormon princess who has no... Real world interactions with people it doesn't really get how some social interactions work no one was really comfortable losing to her and that's the thing is as much as I think Visepio was an awesome player, I really think it's more Nalia lost not Visepia won and really Nalia I don't think Nalia had any business winning survivor to be honest to be quite blunt I think they were literally just
2: begging for her to win you know like yeah. give me give me a reason you know and she
1: didn't yeah nobody wanted Vesepia to win that's the thing Nalia just sucked like you said, the jury was all, they all wanted Nalia to win because they kind of like her, but her answers were ridiculous. Her kind of the stuff she'd pulled down the end stretch was ridiculous. They just, her whole presentation was just kind of childish and just, they just were not comfortable, I think, in the end saying that this girl deserved to win their season. And I think that's a legitimate way for a jury to vote. I don't hold that against the jury, but that was why, more than anything, I think Nalia lost that she just does not present herself as a winner.
2: No, I think, I think that's right. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to get the people to vote for you, you know, and and sometimes that can be because they're voting against the other person or or this, that, and I think that with Nalia, you know, she had every opportunity to do so, and she just couldn't, she just couldn't get her head around it and couldn't get uh, the support, you know, and Vesepia got the votes, and they were probably more anti Nalia than they were pro-Vesepia, but hey, they go her way.
1: Yeah, they all count the same in the end. Another thing, I mean, that was honestly your argument. She's like, Well, gosh, I guess I just got lucky and I love all of you. I'm like, That's not how a winner presents themselves. Go look at Brian Heideck, look at Richard Hatch. I mean, look at any of these people. Chris Doherty, da- one of my favorites. Like, they'll just come up there and say, Look, because I did awesome. I, I did what I had to do. I knocked you out. Like, Nalea doesn't even try to do any of that.
0: Well, I'm going to, have to disagree with you and say that Nalia should have won just on the grounds that that's who Zoe voted for and has the best <laughs> vote ever when she writes out a complete sentence. <laughs> Nalia says, is the soul. She goes there, V is not for victory tonight. Then she writes out, Nalia is the survivor.
1: And then in really tiny letters, she writes, play hard, work hard, Zoe. <laughs> and then she writes, Maine. main, <laughs> Maine! Maine. <laughs> yes. I think we have so anyway, the title
2: wait. of our of our episode, by the way.
1: <laughs> Main, our work hard, play
0: hard, Zoe. Main. Think about what the, what the hell? Why are you still yeah. talking about Zoe? <laughs> so yeah, and then uh,
1: we get to the most beloved of all finales, the Rosie O'Donnell oh finale. Oh my
0: god, this is such a shit show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, like, I gotta all- say something.
1: I gotta say something here. If uh, if you, I just watched the finale this morning and. Uh, you know, Jeff probes gets the votes, he tallies them, and they do the thing where he, he picks some sort of goofy transportation and transports the votes back to the mainland.
2: They do a switcheroo always. It's either like they, they try to make it look like it's a seamless you know, go from, from here to live, or they do the goofy transportation. This was the goofy transportation. Go ahead. Keep going.
1: Yeah, they, they tended to do the New York seasons. Every even season, the finale is in New York. And the, the even ones, they tend to go over the top and do something goofy. But this one I always laugh because this was right after 9-11. This is only not even a year after 9-11. And the finale has Jeff probes flying a helicopter. So, of course, he has to pause and reflect in front of the Statue of Liberty, which always cracks me up. <laughs> you everyone see it, cheers. Yeah, you, you see it now, and it really doesn't have any meaning. But back then it was a big deal. Yay, America's stare the Statue of Liberty. But it's just funny that the whole timeline thing with Jeff, his helicopter pauses so he can reflect silently in front of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs>
0: And then just, I just want to just, just talk about freaking Rosie O'Donnell for a minute. Like <laughs> oh, they even yeah. like, they it's like they even make a jab at her like next season when they're doing when there's like the promos for the Survivor Thailand finale. They're like, the two hour season finale followed by the live reunion show. Then cuts to Jeff Probst. No singing, no dancing, just the answers to the questions <laughs> you've been asking. <laughs> I got it. You know, <clears throat> a lot
1: of people hate the rosy finale. I like it because it's fun. I mean, it's clearly it a different. It fits with
0: Marquesas. It fits with Marquesas. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, and it's a fun <laughs> reunion It's it's a fun reunion show if you watch it. There's a lot of jokes. They go over all the funniest moments of the season. I mean, a lot of my research for the funny 115 kind of came from the Marquesas reunion because they bring up all the stuff I would later write about. But yeah, it's it it doesn't fit with some of the other reunions. But I don't think it's as bad as people claim. Like, I understand why she only got one finale, but that is kind of a fun hour of TV if you watch it. I guess. (laughs) I'm not going to get a lot of support on this one, so I understand. Uh, Let's see. uh, Before we get to the reader questions, we got to talk about the Sepia, because this is a biggie. The Sepia needs some some love in the Survivor community.
2: The Sepia is, I feel, it's funny, because for the longest time, Mario, I know in your writings, you you touted a lot of, you know, very pro-Tina, and you were very pro-Besepia, and I'm not going to sit here and say you weren't. But, Mm -hmm. uh... To me, even more so, you know, as Survivor has, has, has gone, we're in our 25th season of Survivor at the time of this podcast. I don't know how many more are going on, but the fact that the show's been on 25 seasons is quite an accomplishment. And I feel like the type of gameplay, the type of strategy, the type of character that Vesepia was, I feel like she wasn't an offshoot of Tina. She was her own brand of character, and she was so brilliant. And people have imitated her and gone on to great success, and some people have tried to imitate her and gone on very poorly. But I think that Vesepia was a very necessary character for the game of Survivor, and I feel like her strategy is uniquely brilliant. And so I'm glad that she came along when she did and kind of showed people that you can win this way.
1: Yeah, one thing I will say is that I, I've been a huge proponent of Vesepia over the years. In fact, when she won Marquesas and the interviews started coming out and saying how she would start fights, how she would you know, switch alliances at the drop of a hat, how she had no allegiance to anybody. She was just a mercenary. How This was all kind of her gameplay. And I remember writing in my column that week, this was back in, I think, 2002, I wrote, one day Vesepia Tauri will be considered the single greatest survivor winner of all time. Now, clearly that did not happen. But I still stand by that, and I think the more people learn about Survivor, the more people read up on Marquesa and kind of watch the intricacies of Vesepia's game and how she is literally unable—people are unable to vote her out. There's no chance in the game she will ever get voted out. And I'd say you could throw her into 100 seasons, and she would make you know, Final Six almost every time because of her strategy, which is similar to Sandra's Anybody But Me strategy, where she just will sit back, make bonds— She'll start little subtle fights between people, and whichever way the votes go, that's where she's going to go too. And it's not as proactive as Sandra because she's not—I mean, she's not as loud about it. But it's really kind of unique, and, she, and she's one of those people. Again, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that she was in the military sports hall of fame. She is not some challenge pushover like Sandra. She she could survive the early days of the game when the weak people are voted out. So I've always said that if I could create the perfect survivor player, now not character obviously, but player. I would pick Vesepia, because I think she would do well in any single season. And again, you know, she's not the greatest TV character of all time. She doesn't have great sound bites. She's not particularly charismatic when she talks, and she's kind of irritating with the religion stuff. But for pure, if you just took someone who would do well in any season, I'll always say Vesepia, and I'll always say as much as I love Sandra, Sandra just does what Vesepia did first. And I will add one thing on top of that, that as Jay said, it's it's kind of a shame that you know, she came along earlier in the in the Survivor's Legacy. She was a necessary character. In a way, it's kind of crappy that no one remembers her, and if they do, they hate her. Because, I mean, there was some historic moments in Survivor where Richard won. In the second season, oh my God, a woman won. It's amazing. And then the third season, wow, a, a nice guy, the good guy won. And people kind of forget that. The next season was, wow, a minority actually won. And if you would watched, not too many minorities have actually won Survivor since then. She was the first. And it's kind of a shame that no one, I mean, she has never gotten any credit for that. I mean, you put minorities every season, it's always been a particularly whitewashed show that Survivor's not particularly nice to its African-American or even my, any minority applicants. But Vesepia won even back in the early days. And it's again, it's one of those things. It's too bad that people just kind of forgot about her over the years because she was important. No, she wasn't a huge character, but man, she was a good good player. <laughs>
2: But again, I think it it boils down to, you know, what what kind of game do you respect? And I think this is starting the line in the sand that some people start to draw because, you know, some people don't just look at it as the end sum of get to the end and get people to vote for you. A lot of people like style points. They like certain things to go on or they want someone on their television that they can kind of... uh, Uh, either identify with or if not identify with someone that they can aspire to be you know like a young cowboy who smiles Mm -hmm. really really big with his pearly white teeth and wins a lot of immunity challenges Or someone like Kathy. And Kathy, what comes through with Kathy always is her adventurous spirit. She just wanted to go off and hike and do nature things and, you know, gut it through no matter what and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, some people really kind of respect that. Like, man, I would go out there and just love every second of it and go hunt for crabs and look for fun things and then, you know, scheme and and, and plot. And I would just love it to death. And, you know, Vesepia is none of those things. She just went out there and understood exactly what was going on at all times and won the game. And, you know, people... You know, they just tend not to sometimes kind of respect that kind of passive game. But, you know, it's a very, very effective strategy, and it's uh, it's led to success.
1: Yeah, and I would, uh, I would agree with that. This is interesting. A lot of people, you know, write to me over the years and say that they love Maraisis until the end. They just can't handle that Vestepia one, And they say, well, if you have a bad winner, it ruins the whole season. and A, I don't think the Steffi is a bad winner, but that's kind of irrelevant because I don't agree with that argument that you must have a really big popular good winner to have a good season. Like, I think a winner is kind of incidental a lot of times in a season. To me, it's more, it's the destination. I mean, it's the journey, not the destination. What happens up to the final is really the season. And then what happens at the end is really just the jury's decision. It's really preference at that point. But I take offense with people saying that you have to have a great winner for it to be a great season. And Marquesas is really exhibit A in that one. A lot of people just don't like Vesepia and won't like the season because of that. I'm like, it, you got to appreciate some of the stuff even without her. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And by the way, there's one thing I got to add one more thing. This is, I'm kind of saving this for the end. This is going to blow a lot of people's minds. <clears throat> if you'd like a, a good example of how good a player Vesepia has, how cagey she is, you know, if you watch the whole season, it looks like her strategy is God is great. I love God. God helps me through all things. I'll ask for forgiveness. I've heard a lot of people say this, and this isn't just one person, but over the years a couple of people have said this, including one person who actually kind of went through auditions with Vesepia. They said at no point during her audition process did Vesepia mention religion. Like they think They said, I don't even think she's that religious in real life. I mean, I think she is to a point, but a lot of that was kind of put on for the cameras so that people would underestimate her. And it's funny if you if you watch the Marquesas DVD, if you look at the bonus features on the last disc, they have everybody's audition tape, like the all the players from Marquesas sitting there and talking about how they want to play, how they're gonna win this game, what they're good at. If you watch Vesepia's, it's really interesting because she doesn't mention religion at any point in that in that in that interview. What she says is that she's military trained. She went through the Air Force, and military training gives you a lot of different skills that civilians don't have, and one of them is the ability to get along with anybody, any personality type you have learned to adapt to and get along with, and she says that is her number one skill. She can get along with leaders, with followers, with funny people, with serious people, and she's very adaptable, and she says... My friends will tell you I'm really easy to get along with because I can adapt to anything, and that is how I'm going to win. That any situation that comes, I just adapt to it, that I'll be fluid, and I'll just make changes. And it's really funny because it's a totally different Vesepia than you see in the in the episodes.
0: I feel like that, too, leading up to it, there was almost more of a focus on her, you know, this whole military aspect to her, way, you know, more than than any kind of, you know, religious aspect.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing that so many people just write V off as some religious hypocrite who got lucky because the jury was bitter and hated Nilea. I'm like, Vesepio was very cagey. She didn't do stuff without thinking that through first and kind of knowing what effect it would have on other people. So, if you write her off as some religious hypocrite who just got lucky, I would, I would study some of the back materials and just watch how Marquesas plays out from her point of view. And it, I think she's very impressive. She's
2: especially impressive on a rewatch. You know, uh, These first couple seasons of Survivor, there's a great kind of overall story of just this is the story of these 16 Americans that are stranded out there, you know. But but kind of like an, an overarching theme and kind of having a winner's uh, journey throughout the whole season is not something that's going on back then. But as we're saying, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm enjoying the season because you get to see, oh, Row 2-4, oh, Gabriel is you know, got, you know, cool oh, stuff Gabriel. going on. Oh, Gabriel. Oh, look at awesome Zoe. I mean, maybe not. But then you see this whole story of John, and then you see the story of, you know, there's Rob being awesome, and then you see Kathy, and it's like, then Visepi is our winner. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't really, you know, take the journey with her all the way through. But what's funny is when you watch the rewatch, because it's not a comprehensive story all the way through it's still there. We've tried to point it out in the in these podcasts, you know, all the different things that they're showing of the sepia. But you know, at the time we were we weren't just all piecing it together with our with our minds back then. But when you watch it on a rewatch, you know, knowing the things you know now, you watch it, it's all there and it's actually a really really fun story
1: to rewatch. That's the thing. So many people are used to watching Survivor with a theme. This is why Richard won. This is why Tina won. Marquesas is really kind of unique in that it doesn't, it has a story, but it's a different story. It's not, this is how Vesepia dominates and outwits and outlasts everyone. What's really interesting with Marquesas, you watch it, is it's just a, it's just a, uh, almost like a disaster movie where everyone's plans go awry. There's fights, Basta Rob shows up, you know, the road to four falls, Malia gets cocky, Pascal passes out, takes a, I mean, takes a rock. And really at the end, there's Vesepia standing there. Who's saying, "Hey, I was staying out of the drama all along, and I was telling you, and that's the story, the theme of the season." And if you kind of look at it that way, it makes a lot of sense that that's the theme of Marquesas. Hey, stay out of the drama. Yeah, that's how you win. And it's really, it's. I mean, it's not the greatest TV in the world, but there's a story there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. Unless do you have anything else to add, Paul, or else I think we're just about done with our Vesepia wrap-up here.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I I I would be lying if I said Vesepia is someone that I, I am mean, one of the winners that I really like, but I think that. You know it's important that the type of player, like like she is, can win, and something that you guys have both touched on. So even though I'm not the biggest Visepia as a character fan, I think it was very important for the franchise for a player like Visepia to win. Now I, I like to take that type of player and add a little Puerto Rican gangster flair to it, and you get Sandra <laughs> a few seasons later. That's when I really, really really can appreciate that player. But I mean, I think I think you have to hand it to her that she played a masterful game.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. In fact, I just saw—I just had an heard an interview with Vesepia recently within this last year. You know, she's funny and sassy in interviews, and she's really kind of cocky. She knows why she won it at all. She's really kind of a good character. So, and it's just kind of a shame, I guess, that didn't come off on TV. I don't know if that was her fault, but I have absolutely nothing bad to say about Vesepia. She is a winner in Survivor as much as any of the winners were. She deserves that compliment. I mean, that respect. And I think it's a shame that she, to this day, still kind of gets shot by a lot of people. That's really all I get to say about it. All right. And with that, I believe we are going to go into the listener questions. Woohoo! Shoot Shoot at yeah, us. <clears throat> we got a lot here. All right. This is going to be a long podcast. So if you guys are uh, listening to this and you're coming to work, I hope you, there was some traffic today so you can sit and finish and get to the end. <clears throat> all right. Here we go. From Clay Halford. Clay wrote in and said, Sean Rector was one of the star characters. This isn't news to anyone. But he was probably the most aggressive in bringing race into the game. I'd like to hear some discussion as to how that was taken at the time. Not well. Yeah, as always, we should turn to the kid from Montana. What <laughs> about the racial discussion?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, was a, I was a sixth grader, so this is all you, Mario. Yeah,
1: no, it's... um. Sean was not popular. I mean, it, it would just it would be nothing but retroactive history to say that he was popular and was well liked. He, people thought he was loudmouth. People thought that he was racially aggressive. I, there's a word in there somewhere that I don't know even know what it is, but there's something about Sean. He was just provocative that people didn't like. That he brought up subjects that people thought should not be discussed on TV or should not be a part of Survivor. So it was, it was not well liked Survivor. I mean, Survivor historically has not had a particularly good job a particularly good job of portraying african-americans i don't know if it did a great job with sean all the time who knows but he, he was just not popular and a lot of people thought that he was just a loudmouth who talked about stuff that shouldn't be talked about all right from uh steven drabeck he wrote in in the funny 115 i remember you writing that uh, someone from production said that mata amu was the funniest tribe ever due to their morning radio show maybe talk a little about that he said it's like one of those rare moments where people were funny by actually trying to be funny, and they were funny in a playful way, not at the expense of someone else. I.e., Boston Rob slamming the Rotus. And yeah, I'd agree with that. That I know I've heard that Jeff Probst himself has said that that was the funniest cast ever. I'm sure he was talking about the Mad Amus, and most that was the morning show. And yeah, you don't
0: think he was talking about Zoe?
1: <laughs> Zoe was kind of more of a quiet funny. Okay, <laughs> she was more observational humor. <laughs> She was like Carrot Top. She was a prop comic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, but yeah, that's a very good point by uh, by Steven that a lot of humor in Mata Amu wasn't actually directed to anybody else. It was just kind of fun and playful, and I think that really helped in the season in general. It had really did kind of have a fun, playful tone, at least up until the merge.
0: Yeah, Mario, I remember way back when everyone first started reading stuff by Mario. Mario loved the morning shows.
1: Love Still love the morning show. In fact, there's a... <clears throat> on the... uh on the DVDs, on the recap episode on the DVD, I believe there's a scene where where Boston, Rob, and Sean go over to Row 2 and they try to put on a morning show over there and it just doesn't work because no one's funny on Row 2. Shocker. I know. Even with Zoe. They should have Zoe doing the Sickers Report. All right, here we go. Uh, question from Russ Bartlett. I still can't believe that people are upset Gabe didn't want to play the game. If Gabe had wanted to play the game, then Boston, Rob, goes instead of him and we lose out on an amazing survivor character. The Road 2-4 becomes the Row 2-5 – Pascal and Alia Cathy don't have the numbers to make anything happen And we get a boring domination that probably ends with John or Tammy winning So he says, yeah, people shit on Gabe All the time for not wanting to play the game You take that out, you got no Lost rob, no Coconut Chop Trap No Fall of Row 2, nothing So in other words, the season would have sucked And <laughs> It's a good point
2: That's a really good, you know, that's a good argument to have The whole linchpin, like, remove this one thread And the whole tapestry falls apart
1: <clears throat> Yeah, there's a lot in Marquesas you can say that about Oh, here we go, this is a good one this is from a user named Kitty Pride on Survivor Sucks. She wrote, back when reality news online was still operational, they had a feature called the Reality Hall of Shame. She says, oh, for, the most God, part I, yes. yeah, for the most part, I agreed with their decisions of inductions, But then they inducted Vesepia, Vesepia for winning and talking about race and religion. And I have to wonder, since I wasn't online back when Marquesas aired, what exactly was the reaction to Vesepia as a player and a winner by the fans? <laughs> I, Not I think good. That's- yeah, not good. I could not name five people I knew that liked Vucepi or were happy that she won. In fact, I like I was happy that she won, but only because Nalia didn't win, because I was mad that that's, that reverse flag spoiler was giving away the winner. So I was just happy that the spoilers were wrong. I really had nothing to root for with Visepe. but Yeah, she was not well liked. No one really could relate to her. She was seen as a hypocrite. and But I do have to say that reality news online voting her into the Hall of Shame for winning is absolute total bullshit and it's one of the stupidest things i've ever heard and i know we got a lot of emails about that like talk about how the was voted into the hall of shame just because she won survivor so many people are still upset about this to that to this day so i guess in that sense the did have some fans (laughs)
0: yeah they're out there somewhere
1: I don't know, what was your what was your reaction to Pazepia winning Shire, Paul? Did were you strong one way or another or did you just hate her well, like? You well
0: know? no, it's it's just a thing look, it's like I was talking about kinda of with the race thing. Like I was I was younger when it aired and I loved Nalia from the beginning. It was very typical to you know, to to figure out who who elementary school Paul was gonna root for? He rooted for Colleen, for Elizabeth, for Kim Power. So of course he was gonna root for <laughs> Nalia. And um, I just remember watching it, thinking Nalia was gonna go out the final six, and she survived. Thought she was gonna go out the final five, she survived. Thought for sure she was done at the final four, and she survived. So I was just, you know, just so pro Nalia, and so excited for her. For her to come up short in the end was devastating, and it was something that just really always upset me for a long time. Now I can look back here and be like, okay, yeah, Nalia, you had your chance. You blew it too many times, I mean they pretty much wanted to hand you the million dollars, and you just said, "Oh my heck, no thanks so i can I can look back and say, "Okay, nalia really- didn't deserve to win that game, but so Viseppi's one is still a bit tainted in my mind, just from my original viewing experience
2: jeez you, you you liked the cute young girls, man, when you get to Thailand and Amazon, is your brain just explode at that point
0: <laughs> yeah thats that's when I have to start changing who I root for
1: and changing his pants
0: <laughs> that too. <laughs>
1: That's right. I went there. All right. Next question from Carl. Uh, Carl at Survivor Sucks. He writes in What was the public perception of Gabriel like when the season first aired? Not I can imagine. Good. If, <laughs> yeah, we could just stop right there. I can imagine, had Gabe played in a modern season, he would have largely been mocked and ridiculed for his refusing refusal to play strategically. Yes. Is this the case when Marquesas first aired? Yes. yes. I mean. And he even writes later in the question, or were alliances still seen as evil as they were in Borneo? No, Our alliances were not seen as evil by this point, and Gabriel was fucking the biggest stock in Survivor. Everyone hated him. I mean, people made fun of him. They're like, why did this dickhead get cast? And meanwhile, I'm, I'm replying every year, and they won't cast me on the show. So people were furious that this guy made the show, that Gabriel basically quit. If you look at it, he was really considered the first quitter in Survivor history, and he just got shit on so much and that's one of the reasons i still kind of defend him to this day because he really got crapped on for i mean he never was a hypocrite he never deviated from his point of view he looked look this is how i've always approached survivor but he he really got shit on to the point i remember there was an article on uh reality news online which just basically the title of it was fuck you gabriel i'm like this this is a really mean spirit fan base they really came down on him hard gabriel was not popular because of that let's see more questions here Here's a question. Uh, This is Paul's friend, Shandy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She wrote, it's interesting to hear that people already seem like Boston Rob in Marquesas. I came to really love the Rob father later on, but when I saw Marquesas, I thought he came off as a sex prick. Anybody else have a similar reaction to him? Everyone. (laughs) Yeah, I will say, yes, that's actually true. I I think he was more disliked than liked in Marquesas. And I thought he was funny, but he was kind of mean funny in a way. And I I always thought I was kind of in the minority that I liked him. He was really kind of a, a charming villain, if anything. But he was not really a beloved fan favorite in Marquesas by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah, he was kind of sexist and he was kind of a prick. In fact, even if you watch the Marquesas reunion show where the first thing he says is, Rosie O'Donnell's like, were you uh w- what were you most thankful for on the island, Rob? And Rob was like, I was thankful Sarah brought her boobs. Which is funny, but like that's not something modern Rob would say. Yeah,
0: yeah. He, <laughs> so yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't get away with that one. Amber would slap him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's much tougher for that, <laughs> that one now. That's, just, that's just really funny to think about Boston Rob at the Redemption Island uh like finale. <laughs> Be like, Rob, you know, you played this game four times. What was your you know, what 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 is your favorite moment of your four seasons? Well, prior the fact that Natalie brought her boobs, <laughs> like, wouldn't have worked.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Shandy is correct that Boston Rob was kind of a sexist prick in, in Marquesas, and I think a lot of people liked him for that, a lot of people hated him for that, but again, he was great TV and he was very polarizing, and in Rob's defense, I will always say he was quite young. He was really just a kid back in Marquesas, so a lot of the stuff that came out of his mouth might come out of a lot of guys' mouths at that age, so... <laughs> I mean yeah, it's he was kind of a sexist prick, but I don't think he was that all all that unusual for a guy where he was from in that occupation at that age.
2: I think that Rob is the classic example of don't know what you got until it's gone kind of thing mm-hmm. with uh with Marquesas. You know, uh he wasn't particularly well liked, I think. But he was kind of popular. He, you know, he kind of was was a character that you that you gravitated to on TV. But you did root against him, and he went home, and you were kind of like, "Yay, haha!" Ha, he got voted out, and then you know, even though the episodes are still good because we've got to follow the Road to Four. I mean, you're watching the episode, and you're like, "God, I miss Rob. Where'd he go?"
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It, even if you hated him, you kind of missed him. Mm. All right, let's see here. This is from uh, Carolina in Finland. She writes in. Hey, all right, we got some Finnish viewer listeners here. Carolina writes, please discuss Zoe's sexy wink at the end of her final words. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, do you have any comments on that? Ooh, should we discuss Zoe? Thank I you. Actually,
0: actually, last time that aired, I actually took a, I paused the screen and and uh, took a picture of it and <laughs> sent it to uh, my girlfriend's sister because we were horrified by that. And so now <laughs> and then, I'll just text her that picture and be like, like, uh, uh, work hard, play hard. Zoe wishes you wishes you good night. Wink. <laughs>
1: This is killing me. Yes. <laughs> but you're not discussing the wink, Paul. You're you're being disingenuous. Answer the question. What well, did the
0: wink mean? <laughs> <laughs> um it I mean it just kind of is a symbol of of Zoe's sex appeal. I mean, <laughs> Zex appeal if you will. I mean, it's <laughs> It's, I mean, that's, we talked about it's really hard to put Zoe together as a whole character because there's so many different bits and pieces of her, but it really always comes back to her sex, Sophia, whether it's deep-throating a Snickers bar, you know, uh, taking a, taking a sexy calendar pick, you know, it always comes back to sex with Zoe. Zex. <laughs> it always comes back to Zex.
1: <laughs> okay all right carolina As a second question she writes please tell us everything you know about probes and gina's relationship and if it had any effect on the game now i'm not necessarily sure they had a relationship other than probes kind of had a crush on her i i kind of vaguely think they might have dated after the show i'm not entirely sure how close they got in the show and i don't think it affected the game at all other than i think we mentioned it before that after gina was voted out probes kind of bitched out all the mata amus for being assholes and giving her making her feel like she had a chance but I don't really know the details. I don't think if they were together, they were together for very long. But no, it didn't have any effect on the game. But it might have been the first time probes kind of was sweet on one of the players, other than Zoe. (laughs) Of course. She's no Julie. (laughs) Yeah. Julie was cute. I I can't blame probes for that one. I like Julie, too. All right, here we go. Carolina with her third question. You'll probably do this a lot anyway, but do the what if the coconut chop had never happened scenario. What were the dynamics like inside of the row two four? Could V really have gone on to win anyway? Uh, yeah. Apparently, we have no thoughts on that.
0: <laughs> I, I <laughs> it would have been hard, but I don't. I mean, I don't want to underestimate uh, her by any means, but it would have been much harder.
1: Well, she would have been in the Kathy situation. They get down to the final five, and it's two against two, and then V in the middle. So, I mean, it would have been tough for her to win. There's no way to know how the game would have played out at that point, other than. You know, John and Tammy are so competitive; they might have turned on each other at some point. So, had had the row two four gone to the end, I've always said I thought Tammy would have won, just because in situations like that, I always put my money on the second place person, because the first place person gets all the the damage, all the all the jury hate. So, if the row two four makes the final four, I'm guessing Tammy probably wins, and that's also factored in by the fact that I don't think Zoe or the general could put together a jury a uh, question and answer session to save her life. How about you guys? Any thoughts on that?
2: I have a hard time with those questions. I really do. I, I I just have a hard time with the, what if the coconut chop challenge had not ha- then it wouldn't have happened. And something else might have, you know, something might have been similar. They may have made that revelation or they don't. The row two four go all the way to the end and one of them wins. But if they did, then this whole scenario is different. And so it's just it's just mind boggling to to really kind of think about that. So it's like, what if the coconut chop never challenged or a challenge never happened? Well, then we would have missed out on some fun shit.
1: Yep, I'd agree. All right. Pedro Amaral writes in and says, I got to agree with you guys ragging on Zoe. (laughs) Great. Thank you. He said, Zoe is one of the most inexplicable casting choices of the last 20 years, though I do appreciate her unintentional humor. I think what the producers were trying for was another Sue Hawk with her. Which is interesting, since the Road Two Four ended up mirroring the Toggy Four in a lot of ways: the scheming gay leader, the manly older woman from a northern state, a military no-nonsense type, and the younger athletic female. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's not really a question. Although, is is the general really military, other than calling himself the general? <laughs> I was going to
2: say I didn't know that. You know, the military had a lot of limo drivers going around. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know, but yeah, that's a good that's a good little comparison. The Toggy Four was kind of the Road Two Four. All right, uh, a big long question from a guy named Mel Cobre. Let me kind of summarize it. You guys talk amongst yourselves for a second while I go through my notes. I'm
0: just gonna daydream about Zoe right now.
1: Yeah, I kind of, you know,
2: first of all, thank you for agreeing with us making fun of people. That's, you know, <laughs> that's good validation. Well, second also, of all, we also
0: pick easy targets.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then second of all, I don't know. I mean with Zoe I mean sometimes people go through the casting process and then they get on television and it just doesn't work out. I mean with Zoe you could see, you know, she was a I mean she was a lobster boat person. Like come on, that's interesting in and of itself, but and you know, I don't know. I I don't know that it was like super inexplicable. It's just it, it's unfortunate because the personality did not shine completely through on television, which is just sad for all of us involved, but not all of us that love Zoe.
1: All right, here's a great question from Melacabras. This is a good one. <clears throat> he said, This is all about Richard Hatch. Richard has taken many, many shots against Sepia over the years, although he seems to have dropped them into prison. But for a while there, Richard consistently took shots at Sepia personally, and he openly called her the worst win- winner in survivor history. And he applied his arguments to her gameplay, making comments that I recall, like how someone like V could win and stuff like that. He says, well, I certainly can understand why Hatch would not like V over her confirmed statements of loving John Carroll as a person but cannot accept his homosexuality. That's exactly how V once said it. He says, it has nothing to do with V's capacity to play Survivor, and sadly he thinks it's a shame that Richard can't separate those two things. I would agree with that. It's like, yeah, you can dislike V as a person, you can think she's a religious hypocrite, but I really don't think you can fault her as a Survivor player, and it's a shame that so many people just don't like her as a person.
2: You really shouldn't drop things with prison involved. <laughs> thank you. Jay Fisher, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you. Well, I, he brings up a point. I mean, you know, Vesepia, you know, with with, with her background, her religion, she does not accept uh, – John and, and, by proxy, Richard, you know, the homosexual lifestyle. And so, someone, you know, who who, who is gay probably doesn't really appreciate that very much. Yeah. I know I wouldn't. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know how Richard should react in that situation. I would imagine I wouldn't be super pleased, and he apparently isn't super pleased. And so, he's going to uh, feel the way he feels, you know, and Vesepia feels the way they, she feels, and, you know, that's going to be a little oil and water in that situation, I would think.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I, I have to say, it, I'm sure it has not helped Vesepia's legacy over the years that the king of Survivor has repeatedly trashed her gameplay every chance he's gotten. <clears throat> Alright, here's another question from Melacabris. I guess it should be mentioned that despite Jeff Probe's insistence that Boston Rob brings victory to his tribe, any tribe he's ever on, this was not true in Marquesa's. Boston Rob had <laughs> one win, nine losses, and seven episodes of Survivor. He personally botched immunity challenges number two, three, and seven, and he underperformed in reward challenge two. But Boston Rob going crazy with joy when he won immunity challenge number six was fun because it was literally his first win of the season after eight losing performances in a row.
2: God damn, um, Mel! Why don't you just drive the knife a little deeper? Jesus.
1: Good point. Again, not a question, but yeah. All right, so. Boston Rob has not always been the challenge god that probes likes to tout him as. I
2: love, I love his breakdown. Like you know, he's like he was responsible for losing two, three, and seven, and he underperformed. In...
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little stat chart like Road roto history baseball. He can figure out what Boston Rob should have done.
2: Right, like he's got so wins. He's got wins over replacement and stuff going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Mel, I know you're a listener. We're not making fun of you. Thank you for the questions. <laughs> uh, we only got a couple more questions here. Uh, let's see. Uh... Heather Short writes in: Will you talk about the impact of the Purple Rock of Doom? <laughs>
0: Rewind <laughs> wrote, this podcast an hour ago.
1: <laughs> well, she added, "I know in Vanuatu, Eliza went back on Amy's alliance because of it. I can't remember another time this was the case. I'm sure there was other times, but I'm yeah, I'm kind of fuzzy on some of those too."
2: Well, I think the most recent one is uh, Mr. Cochran, Cochran. in uh, South Pacific.
1: All right, that's a good answer.
2: Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you you could even argue that he probably should have gone to a rock in that situation, but. Uh, he just couldn't, and I respect that, too. I mean, The Rock is... Putting it in the hands of random chance is really weird and kind of against the whole purpose of Survivor. So not wanting to go to it, I think, is uh, is 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 admirable in and of itself.
0: And it pops up throughout. I mean, even in, in Palau, you had a situation where where uh, Stephanie ends up, you know, voting out James because she can't let it go to a Purple Rock. You have a situation yep. in Survivor fans versus favorites where Amanda kind of tests Ceree and see if she's willing to take a Rock, and she kind of, you know... Uses that a sign of trust that Suri is almost willing to pull a rock, you know, to 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 still be on Amanda's side. So I mean, you could go through every season and find find these moments. So I mean, its impact definitely has, you know, you can definitely still see it.
2: Doesn't Jenna Lewis talk about it in Survivor All Stars briefly?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge. That's her whole reason why she puts off Rupert. So
2: yeah.
1: All right. I got three funny comments here. These aren't questions, but I, I think they're funny enough. I want to read them on the air from Heather Short at Survivor Sucks. She said, I will always love Tammy's Jerry speech. I also love the fact that the row two Four tried to wear all black. But the general kind of screwed it up, just wearing black pants with the light blue shirt. <laughs> John seemed to go halfway with a brown shirt and Tammy with jeans. Zoe with the black dress got the closest. Too bad she kind of screwed up the We Control Who Wins thing that John was going for by voting differently than the rest of them.
2: <laughs> That's the funniest and, thing ever. Yeah,
1: meaning that if Sean wasn't always going to vote for V, the symbolism completely gets lost. Oh, well, at least we still have the symbolism. <laughs> That's great. She also wrote in Heather Short. Wrote in. Another thing to mention is the fact that Tammy was either glaring at the final two or flat out not looking at them at all. The fact that she was sitting next to Zoe, who wasn't as bitter, and seemed to maintain some sort of eye contact, and even kind of looked proud of them for getting that far, makes Tammy look so out of place in that final scene. Tammy finds Zoe fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tammy thinks she's a bitch. Oh, damn it. I got it mixed up. Yeah. And then Heather finally wrote in. Also with the Fallen Comrades challenge, I always think it's funny that they, they needed a closer look at Tammy's necklace, but none of them wanted anything to do with John's piercing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anyone wanna
1: see it? No. Yeah. Anyone wanna see this thing that's been in John's navel? No. We're good. <clears throat> Alright, we got final two questions. We're almost done here. This is from Carl. Carl at Survivor Sucks, right? A question I would like to ask in part three of the podcast is, what in your opinion would have happened if Pascal had made the final three and collapsed on his way to Tribal Council like he did with the jury? Would he have been medevac, or do you think they would have delayed the Tribal Council until he was in better health? And that one, I, even without pausing for a second, I would say I'm almost guaranteed they would have held off the taping until they could have hydrated him and stuff because back then they didn't medevac people like that they would have moved the game around until he could get back to health because they kind of did some stuff like that with australia with uh, elizabeth in australia they would kind of get her back to health so she could stay in the game and they could keep her going so i i think they just would have revived him given him some some hydration and then started taping yep all right and finally our last question and this one's just for you paul oh good this is mr x 819 writes in and says I'm sure it's inevitable, but I eagerly await the discussion you make about Rosie O'Donnell as reunion host and how that was basically the straw in the camel's back to have the probes finally be the reunion host. And he writes, "I guess I could ask if Rosie never really killed the idea of guest host for reunions. Who would you guys have wanted to see as the host and eat for future reunions? A former player, a talk show host, Octomom, Zoe? So? so yeah, um, so yeah. Did did Rosie kill the idea of having guest hosts?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like we said it, it almost kind of fits with the season and it's just this crazy thing, but I think the the thing that you do kind of miss out a lot on is you do there's a lot of questions that aren't really addressed at all in it as far as you know, what happened out there the purple rock, Kathy's decision to go with with um with Nalia and Pascal, so I think you do actually lose a lot in it. But, I mean, then again, you have uh, uh, Rosie O'Donnell singing about Sean bruising his coconuts. She rides <laughs> in on, a, on Colby's motorcycle. She does this ridiculous challenge where they have to eat gummy worms, worms, and they all win a car. And, I mean, it's just it's out of control.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, there were some questions that were answered, like, would the castaways eat gummy worms? That's important shit right there. That was good. So did Rosie kill the idea of guest hosts? I don't know. I think <clears throat> inevitably probes would have ended up hosting the reunions anyway. In fact, it's always funny that modern Survivor fans that don't know the early seasons didn't know that probes didn't always host the reunion. That was kind of innovative and new when he did it in starting in Thailand. And it was <laughs> it's funny looking back, I always wondered why, why he didn't host the reunions.
2: Yeah. Well, Yeah, but I mean, Survivor was a phenomenon at the beginning. You know, it it wasn't about just the gameplay. You know, now Survivor is such a niche show. I mean, it gets great, it gets good. Well, not great, but it gets good ratings, and you know, is solid and and kind of steady and stuff like that. But it, it definitely has a niche audience now, and the audience is people that are. Tuning in to see buffoonish characters, um, blindsides, backstabs, and and gameplay more more often than not gameplay. And so, but at the beginning, it was about these character pieces, about these these sixteen Americans that all of a sudden got plunged into this game. And so, you know, we talk about them. So having Bryant Gumble and now Rosie O'Donnell kind of uh, talk about the reunion show and kind of just talk about the experience and these characters and how they're dealing with it and th- that sort of thing. That was what america kind of wanted at the time but but as as the show kind of got more niche and kind of got into the gameplay and stuff like that having probst there be the host and ask like specific game questions is what it kind of geared to and i think it eventually would have gotten there anyway uh you know if rosie o'donnell uh, hastened that then then perhaps so but i think that we were getting toward jeff probst just there asking them questions about hey what'd you do at this point and at this point would you decide to flip it was going to go that way anyway
1: and again I will defend the Rosie reunion and that it's it's fun to watch. That was a fun hour of TV. It's not what you might want from a survivor reunion, but it was a fun I mean it was a fun hour. There was some neat stuff going on. The castaways were all laughing the entire time. I remember there was a great moment where Boston Rob asks, "Hey, is Hunter still crying?" and he gives him a little tissue. Is he still crying about that vote? It was a fun thing, but the thing I got to point out is that Rosie O'Donnell wasn't just someone they, you know, they pulled out of their ass to host a Survivor reunion. She had the number one rated talk show in the country at that moment. And she was a huge Survivor fan. She talked about it all the time. She loved Colby. So there was a reason she was picked. And, you know, Brian Gumbel probably thought Survivor was stupid. He gave up. They picked the number one Survivor fan in the country who happened to draw huge TV ratings. That was Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, yeah.
0: It so. was also the week Brian Gumble went on. He left the earlier show. So he was leaving CBS News anyway. So
1: okay all right so yeah so uh, it's interesting paul does know a couple black people
0: <laughs> yeah Why well, i just because <laughs> it's, it's brian gumbel's last day um on the early show is uh the, he interviews um sean because it's the friday before the finale
1: oh okay so. i don't remember that okay but yeah so it wasn't just a random choice to pick rosie and i, I don't know if people were happy with the reunion i think they were probably more happy than it's being said now. I bet the reunion was kind of popular at the time, but yeah, it's inevitably Jeff was gonna host anyway because that the the show was just getting less popular among the mainstream. So I guess that's it. And I think we have officially said everything there is to be said about Marquesas now. Probably not, but let's just leave it there. <laughs> we'll and I, got have about, Zoe. I got about ten more Gabriel stories.
0: <laughs> and that'll be part four, ladies and gents.
1: <laughs> no, I promise this was a three parter and we're officially done. And I believe we have finally done right. I think the season was covered well. I think we've touched on most of the stuff that, you know, if you were watching it at the time, what it would have been like. And I'm very happy we finally got Marquesa done because well was one of my all-time favorite seasons. It is number two behind Pearl Islands on my all-time list, and I am very happy we got a chance to talk about it. And Jay now gets a chance to talk about Thailand. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I love <laughs> Thailand. I'm so really much.
0: excited, too. I'm really excited for it.
1: Yeah, Thailand's actually a fun season. I like it. Jay is obviously going to be the biggest fan of Thailand, but we all like Thailand. So you will have not have a naysayer among the bunch here. We're we're big Thailand fans.
2: No, it's good. I'm all about the characters in Thailand. Um, God, I can't wait to talk about Clay. <laughs> Clay's great. I mean, th- this is this is going to be fun. You know, I like to crack wise. I like to you know make a lot of fun jokes. And Thailand is just sneaky funny, and it's sneaky funny the entire time. And uh, we need to point this out. I, I feel. I feel like Marquesas has a good rap. I mean, at the time it didn't, but I feel like now among the rewatch and a lot of the Survivor community, Marquesas has has gotten a good rap. Thailand has a bad rap, and we need to fix this. This needs to be rectified.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, although I would disagree that Marquesas had a bad rap at the time. I think at the time, it was probably considered the biggest and most fun of the first four seasons, except for the ending. That's what you would hear. It's like, oh, Marquesis is awesome, but fuck the ending. And so that's, that's that's where it comes down to. But yeah, Thailand needs all the help it can get, and we're going to give it all the help we can. All right, yeah. so do uh, you have anything else to add before we sign off from Marquesas?
0: Nope, we'll leave the season and the hmm. Zex behind.
1: All right, for the uh, Survivor Historians, this is work hard, play hard, Mario. Wink.
0: This is Paul...
2: And this is Jay Fisher. Maine!
0: Damn it, you
1: stole my line! (laughs) Fuck! I was so going to end the podcast with that. That was so disingenuous. (laughs) All right, yes, Jay Fisher with a Maine reference. And we had a lot of fun talking about Marquesas. We hope you guys are listening, and we will see you in a couple weeks when we start Survivor Historians Thailand. Thanks a lot. Talk to you guys later.
0: You booger!
1: You booger! Holy Mother McGrady, look at this dude!